Hey everybody, welcome to We've Got Ward, a doof media podcast series where we expertly dissect and discuss Ward, Wabo's return to the world of parahumans. My name is Matt Freeman, and we are going to be an authority. Like like an authority or, or the authority? There will be rules. That's vague. This means submitting to my power. Wait, what? You'll follow a code of laws, you'll maintain control and peace, and you'll protect populations. Oh, well, that, I mean, that sounds pretty positive. You'll be reasonably good. It feels kind of weird that you needed to clarify that with reasonably. Come with us, or stay. My name is Scott Daly, and I am coming with you. This is the weekly podcast where Matt and I eagerly dive into Wildbo's world of betraying Birdman, drug-laced candy, in a good way, and alien-based death powers as we analyze and interpret this ongoing web serial. This week, we're covering chapters 9.14 and 9.15. Team Breakthrough finally reunites, sort of. Uh, Kenzie gets a breakthrough of her own, and then Goddess completely falls to pieces. Matt, how did you feel about these two chapters? These were great. Um, I the the arc basically comes to its culmination, its climax after after fifteen chapters plus uh, a few interludes. Um, it's been a hell of a ride. It's it's kind of its own little contained story, and and it's going to be great to kind of reflect on on the arc and how everything has led up to this point. There's also some really great mo- like moments of tension, especially in nine point fourteen. Um, but really across the whole thing, just incredibly, incredibly good moments of tension. Yeah, I wonder and I, I kind of kind of want to pick Ladbo's brain about this. I wonder if there were moments where he thought about cutting this thing off and, and doing like the goddess story across two arcs, you know, because yeah. um, this is the longest one in this book so far. Um, it is a kind of self-contained story. And, I, and I, I, I'm actually glad that he decided not to do that. I'm glad we have this one arc that we can look at as the goddess mind control arc. Um, and it's this, this one kind of t- contained story within a story that, that moves so many things forward, but at the same time is its own little thing. Uh, I really like that decision. Um, it's not technically over yet. We still have one more, in- at least one more interlude chapter coming up that we'll have to cover next week. But yeah, the, the, the story proper has reached its conclusion, um, for this part of it. And yeah, I mean, I, I completely agree with you. It, 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 that culmination and there's, there's like three different moments of like culmination of stuff that we've been building to like for different characters and it just feel it pays off in such a great great way and i i love it i love it yeah me too i can't wait to get to all the, these moments but Why as we, usual yeah. first we have some uh, announcements i guess the only announcement is a reminder regarding the halloween contest which ends uh basically at the end of the month i think technically november 1st so please Snap a picture of your parahumans themed Halloween costume and email it to us, and uh, we will. We, the patrons will vote on it, and there's there's prize money involved. So yeah, please check that out. Yeah, um, we did get a question via email today, and I answered it, but I thought this would be a good thing to send out to everyone else as well. We got a question about you know, photo editing and how much of that is allowed. Um, the question was specifically, can I edit the background of my image um, as long as I don't edit the foreground as long as I don't edit the costume or, or me. And yes, that's totally okay. If you want to get crazy with your backgrounds, go for it. Um, the, the real judging of the contest is supposed to be about the, the costume. So as long as you're not using 
editing software to um, change what your costume looks like. That's not fair. That's cheating. Um, but anything else, go for it. And guys, I'm so excited to see what you guys got. It's coming. Matt, we're, we're getting close. Yeah, this is going to be fun. All right. Uh, next community spotlight section where we read what people wrote from last week's thread. And if you recall, the discussion question was pick a character and explain how they are the author of their own destruction. And we got a lot of really interesting answers, a lot of ones that I wouldn't have even thought of, but then the explanations turned out to be really good. <clears throat> so first from Bisexual Punch Party, they named Dr. Mother and say Dr. Mother violated the evil overlord protocols. And they basically say, this isn't Dr. Frankenstein getting killed by his monster. This is Dr. Frankenstein creating an assembly line of monsters who were then fed into a pain machine and then released. <laughs> I like that a lot. That's really good. Um, Scandi, Scandia blessing. Wow, I probably... Or Cable Sing? Scandia's Cable Sing? I don't know. I'm not um, sure. They picked Emma. They said Emma held to a philosophy that required a specific person to remain weak and broken down, a perpetual victim, so Emma could define herself as strong by comparison. Then, that person, being Taylor, turned out to be stronger than her. I like that a lot. That's a really good way of looking at it. I did see someone say Emma, and I was like, huh, how could you? Oh, yeah, I, I think that's a really great, really great answer. Yeah, I mean, I, I like that the, the nature of the question was that we obviously didn't define what it means to be the author of your own destruction. <laughs> right, right. And different people took it in different ways, and I, I never would have picked Emma, actually. Um, but, yeah, I mean, she she kind of makes her own bed, right? Like, yeah. Like, she wouldn't have had the ending she did if she didn't do the things that she did completely, you know, under her own willpower. Yeah, yeah. So next, uh, Sarah Penguin chooses Cherish and says, Cherish not only thought joining a group of, of psychotic killers was a good idea, but she even went and found them on her own and then had the even worse idea of betraying them. Um, and, and they go into more detail about uh, about Cherish, but yeah, uh, Cherish, the fate she earned maybe wasn't as bad as she deserved, but she uh, she brought it on herself. She did. This was actually my answer when I thought when you came up with this question. So um, I'm glad to see that. That was, that was the first person that jumped into my head. Yeah. A beard of valor goes through each of the primary cauldron members. They say that Alexandria was killed by someone who wanted to be a hero, but was alienated by the corruption that she fostered in the PRT. Idolan created the Endbringers out of his need to feel important and legend wasn't killed, but his credibility and leadership was destroyed by his compromise of his morals. Um, that's, that's a, I like that a lot. Each, each one of those in their own kind of way resulted. And I think the most interesting thing about this question, Matt, is it's a lot of these characters, almost yeah. as if that's like a thing that Wildbow is, is talking. And, and I love that this question came up because I think there's some of that kind of going on in, um, these chapters that we're going to be talking about this week. Yeah. So I think some of it is while Bo is doing this in his story on purpose. And some of it is just the inverse of a character who gets their, you know, their just desserts, if you will, is like a really narratively boring thing where it's like, Oh, they just died for no reason or, yeah. or, or for a reason that wasn't related to their own. Like someone in the thread mentioned like grew doesn't like, doesn't appear to be, um, um, you know, the author of his own destruction because he's right. like, he kind of dies more as a consequence of Taylor's actions. That, that, that was the comment uh, in the thread. And it's like, yeah, that, that actually makes more sense. And 
and and so there's less poetry to Gru's death in that in that particular way. I, I don't know. I, it, there's poetry in a different way, you could say. But yeah, yeah I, I think there's a, there's a reason why most people are kind of getting getting their just desserts, and, and that's another way of phrasing they're the author of their own destruction. I think. Yeah. No, I like that. Sure. Yeah. Uh, Calinero nine eight five talks about Kraus, our favorite character. <laughs> and he says, Kraus is a, a trickster. Kraus is a pusher. He's a doer. He takes the lead because he feels that he has to, uh, and no one else will, um, or or no one else competent will. And he makes a lot of mistakes, and his errors accumulate um, over time and get worse and worse. Um, the end of Kraus's story isn't his death. Um, it's where every teammate or friend has gotten tired of cleaning up after him and gives up on him. Uh, and he's responsible for the monsterification and death of the one person he was trying to protect. So, because uh, his death at the end, again, is not really, um, he he's almost passive for, for his actual death. Um, but uh, yeah, that, that all makes sense to me. I like that. Yeah, no, I like that a lot. Um, next up, we have Pizza Hot Dog Lover, who first gives us kind of their definition for author of their own destruction, they they list three different things. First, um, if they had minded their own business and left the situation alone, they would have avoided their downfall. That's number one. Number two, the actions that led to their demise were ill-advised and unwise. And lastly, they chose to commit these unwise actions that are as a result of hubris, overreach, and or greed. And um, they chose, based on those stipulations, Ned crawler who dies because he hears about a big dangerous thing that happened and decides he wants in on that uh that's a pretty you know succinct distillation based off those those (laughs) those things that he outlined i like that yeah i mean it's i love his power as representation of hubris that he's just like i can take anything (laughs) yeah um and then he actually can't yeah nope the end (laughs) nothing more to say about that nope uh to sarwat uh, they do something interesting with this question. They don't necessarily just name someone and describe their traits or, or how, how they're the author of their own destruction. They talk about instead Alexandria and Taylor as having related but uh, different contrasting downfalls. They lay out a through line of similarities and differences in terms of the emotional relationship with humanity that these characters have, their powers and abilities and their role as an inspiration to others, and then also the outcomes of their choices. And the the core difference, that they argue, uh, is that Taylor remained anchored in friendships and relationships with other people, at least until the end, while Alexandria was driven to a kind of cold inhumanity and disregard for mundane threats by her power and her position. And uh, this led to her downfall the way it happened. Yeah, I like that. Although, I mean, I, I think you could see... You could even make that link further, though, that Taylor in the end for Taylor to be successful, she has to finally cast off those last few um, anchors to humanity and and friendship and other people to to fully achieve the victory that she wants. She she makes a similar choice that Alexandria um, probably made slowly over time to distance herself and become this cold, uh, uncaring jerk. Yeah, I mean, you could say something about what the story is saying about the nature of how in order to do what needs to be done, sometimes you have to destroy your humanity. I don't yeah. know. Yeah, it's yeah. interesting. Yeah. Stuck in Reddit Factory is next up, and they take an interesting approach naming Danny Hebert, Taylor's father, and talking about how Danny didn't die 
probably. Um, but he did fail in his role as a father. Basically, this is this whole post is a really good outline of what Danny's mistakes were. Uh, and the, the basic theme is he drops the ball when Annette died and he didn't really ever pick that ball up again until it was too late. And I think that's a pretty good distillation. I think Danny's a guy that like, first of all, he's going through something that I, I don't know if people are like prepared to go through. And then like Taylor is such an interesting, difficult person that I, I don't like, I don't know how the world's best father could have handled Taylor as, as she started on this descent. I, I don't know. Um, but yeah, I mean, he, he definitely was kind of either. I feel like there were moments where he could have, he could have like laid down the law. He could have been a father and it could have maybe turned her path a little bit. And that just doesn't, just doesn't happen. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think about Danny every once in a while. Cause we don't, we didn't see, we didn't see the, the period of time when, um, when he was all like distant and consumed in his grief, we just yeah. kind of pick up and, and it's kind of implied that Taylor's been kind of, uh, not, not too well taken care of for a while, at least emotionally. And, yeah. um, so people infer things about it, which I suppose it's fair because that is, you know, his daughter to become a super villain. So yeah. Yeah. All right, uh, Kyrgyzstan uh, discusses this this very arc. Actually, says in basically they're talking about goddess and says in nine dot fifteen, goddess describes how she initially sees sees power because she could, but now everyone expects her to try it again, and so she's obligated to do so because the best defense is a good offense, basically. Um, and then also she chooses Amy Dallin as her voice of reason. And then doesn't listen to her anyway, which those are both bad choices, I guess. I mean, I guess the second choice is better than the first one. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know. And they say, Goddess wrought her own destruction by refusing to grow beyond simply what was sufficient to take over Shin. Not only did she let herself stagnate in the first place, she refused to acknowledge the reality of her changed circumstances or changed to confront them after she found herself on Gimmel. Yeah, and without getting too much into a lot of what we're going to be talking about today. I very much agree with that assessment. Um, yep. Yep. <laughs> that it's kind of skipping to the end of the discussion, but yeah. <laughs> um, so overall in general, uh, uh, other comments in the thread, there was a great mega fire post about Ashley, uh, which everyone should check out. Yes, please do. And um, I, just, there's this one kind of offhand comment someone made. It was a uh, Dominic Aldez, Aldaze. I'm not sure, points out that one way in which Damsel and Swansong differ um, is that Damsel may have actually had more quote-unquote institutional support than Swansong did. And she may have actually been less alone because she was in the prison this whole time, um, which we don't really know much about what her environment was like. But yeah. the, the, they basically, their point was like, we didn't say what they expected us to say, which was that... Um, maybe she's had more like like more hands-on support since she's been in the prison and i don't i don't know if we have any evidence of that one way or the other but i guess it's possible it is yeah it is possible i'm not sure um i i don't know how like how much do i like we don't we just don't see i i think that would be an interesting avenue to look at you know again this this idea of two different paths to recovery that these ashleys they're taking um but yeah we don't know for sure i i i if that's the case, I hope it's explored further uh, in the future. Me too. All right, let's get on into 9.14. All right. We open this chapter with Victoria tumbling through dark water, completely disoriented. 
and thinking this time there was no frame of reference, even a wrong one. And this is an explicit reference, of course, to when she tumbled through a fiery sky a few chapters ago. And she thinks about this. Was that only foreshadowing for what was to come? Yeah, she's doing her job for us, Matt. It's really upsetting. Yeah, I know. But this, <laughs> this is me getting back on my uh, fire versus water symbolism shit again, Matt. We're, we're here. Uh, Go for it. Because two times in this arc, Victoria has lost her orientation. Um, once she is battling against a lung and the, the overwhelming presence of his fire. And she orients herself using what she thinks are buildings and lights, but she's wrong. They're just uh, like sparks and, and like uh, tossings off of the flame, right? Yeah. Um, here she's disoriented again, but this this time the dark water offers no way to reorient herself. There's she has no perspective, no sense of anything, nothing to grab onto, and she's completely turned around. And I like I like like once again we're showing this difference between water and fire. This idea of fire as as light um, and water as as darkness, cold, uh, scary, like indifference almost. But I think we're kind of bringing more nuance to this than we have in the past because the fire here is not like objectively good either it's just like comparatively better but it has it has a level of danger to it as well like this if if fire represents light represents truth um it it can trick you it can misorient you and and fool you um and i I love i love that that comparison that kind of dichotomy between these two things that we're continuing to see throughout this this story yeah, I, I, I like this representation of the fire as being deceptive, especially in light of our arc title, uh, Gleaming, yeah, which yeah. is like a, a refraction or, or a, um, I mean, I don't necessarily think of deception when I think of Gleaming, but but it is it is that you're seeing light that's not actually from that source. It's, it's reflection, yeah. basically. Yeah. All right. Um, yeah, so as she's tossing around in the water, she thinks about fear, about the nature of fear. First about fear of the dark, uh, which she is, of course, immersed in and which she inherited from her mother. And she shares herself, actually, although not for the same reasons. Um, and she she thinks about how like a sleepover was actually ruined when she was a kid because she was so scared of the dark. She needed a nightlight. And she says to herself, one way to deal is to bend to the fear. And she's thinking about her mom says, I'd seen her bend to the fear to the point it was an integral part of how she lived. Yeah, I God, I love this whole interaction. I lo- I I dove I dove pretty deep into the whole this whole thing, Matt, as I I do. Um, but you know, we we are hard on Carol a lot, and Carol mostly deserves it, I think. But but I think this is like a really instructive moment for our favorite bad mom. <laughs> We've we've talked about this before, but I think this is one of the first moments where Victoria really like specifically admits like like we've we've kind of um, gestured towards it. But she kind of states that, hey, my mom's past trauma like still absolutely rules her life, like like absolutely 100 percent of the time. The the fear, the the fear of darkness rules her life. And she has she has bent her life to the point where that fear is just part of it now. It's just that's just. That's just who she is now. Um, and and th- I think this is great because this gets into like this this the cyclical nature of trauma, this idea that this t- terrible, horrible thing happened to Carol um, and and it's ruled her life every moment of every day. Her, her life has has been decided in some way because of this trauma. And she's passed that on to her kids. She's passed that fear, that trauma on to her children, including Amy. Um, and 
like we're, we're seeing people unable to break from this cycle. And I love this idea of, of cyclical trauma and, and breaking from it. And, and it kind of really, to me, cements why parents are so involved in the story, why parental units and, and why we, we talk about family relationships, because it's like a family is just perpetuating that family's trauma. And I, I really like this little wrinkle on things. Yeah. I like this idea that she's aware of it here because it's really yeah. hard to be mad at someone while also recognizing that they're driven by trauma and fear. Like yeah. it's a kind of, it's a step towards forgiving that person, I think, or at least understanding them. Yeah. I, forgiveness might be a bit much, but yeah, definitely a step toward understanding. Yeah. yeah. I love how Victoria frames this idea of fear too. It's just a very, God, it's such a very Victoria thing to do. Right. She says, okay, fear, two ways to deal with it. First, um, you can, you can succumb to it. You can let it bend you or, or, or bend to it rather, or you can fight it. And in her mind, if you fight it, sometimes you lash out. If you push hard against something, you lash out, you make quick, uh, unplanned choices and that gets other people hurt. But if you succumb to it, it, it provides maybe a necessary caution, which is good. But then Victoria immediately connects succumbing to it, bending to it back to Carol, back, back to this idea of someone who bent to that fear so much that be, it became an integral part of their life. So, I mean, in this instance, it's kind of a damned if you do, damned if you don't situation, right? Like it's, I, I could either attack it and get someone hurt or I can let the, the fear in and let it rule me. Um, and like it, it's so of course, this is this is this feels like Carol to me, right? Like this is something that Victoria specifically learned from her mother. And she admits here that she learned this from, you know, both instruction from her mother and by just watching her mom. And I got into this idea of, you know, Carol has found a way to cope with her trauma. She's found a way to get through the day. She has this terrible thing that happened to her and it's ruling her, but she's she's doing okay. <laughs> like she lives in fear constantly, but she's living and she's like managing to get through her days. Um, and this is, I mean, this is, this is the whole thing we're talking about. We're talking about this idea of, of coping with your trauma and, and maybe getting to a place where you can recover from your trauma. Right. So Carol has passed this trauma on to Victoria. Um, and she's passed on the ways of dealing with this trauma. She's passed on the, the coping mechanisms, but she's done all this from a very arm's length kind of transaction. Like she didn't teach her kids how to live, just how to survive. She didn't teach her kids how to love. She just taught them about fear. And now I think here at the end of the world, um, Carol has kind of finally decided that she doesn't want to be ruled by that fear anymore. Um, she, she, I think, I think I see when I see Carol, like trying to bring her family back together and trying to connect these people together. She's a person that has decided she wants to get to a place of recovery, but she hasn't, trained herself on how to do that. And she hasn't taught her kids on how to do that. And that's why it's such a big disaster. All this stuff is a disaster. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I was wondering, um, if is this dichotomy of like, you either bend to it or you, or you, I, I suppose you fight it. Or, or is that really the extent of the dichotomy there? I don't know that. I don't know if there's much more to that thought, but I was, I was like, are there, there are surely other things you can do with fear you know, you can, you can try to, um, just, just feel it, acknowledge it and then move on. Right. That's, that's not fighting it. That's something else, but I don't know. Anyway. Well, I mean, she goes to the the extreme, right? I mean, that's, that's kind of a Victoria thing to do is like, here are my two, two, 
two options and these are the most extreme results of each of them right yeah yeah i mean she's sort of catastrophizing in that moment actually um it's interesting yeah i it's it's a fascinating bit because she's she's in a terrible spot and and she takes she 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 is actually a bit overwhelmed at first but i think the thing about her that's kind of makes her a hero and makes her heroic and makes her good at this is that she recovers so quickly because she doesn't spend a whole lot of time in this it's just it, we're spending a lot of time talking about it because it says a lot about her yeah um, no and i'm glad you kind of posed that question because uh let's just say that question might be posed at the end of the episode all right so she she knows if she uses the wretch now in the dark not knowing where anybody else is she could pulp somebody so she uses her flight to fly herself through the water to a flat surface and push herself against it. And uh, as she's doing this, she hears roaring through the water. I think there's a lot of great writing here where, especially during the reread, you realize that certain things mean certain things. Like she starts hearing the roaring. You don't know what that is. Turns out later that it's Ashley. Um, there's there's a few things like that, actually. Yeah, I mean, I, I find this entire sequence of, of frantically searching through the water just a fantastically like well-paced action sequence. Um, like we, we kind of set the stage. We have, you know, these, these dimly lit blue, uh, motes of Byron's that are kind of painting everything in this kind of eerie blue murky color. We have this time constraint as Victoria can only hold her breath for so long before she's going to need to solve that problem. And, and, and I, I like that, like, as she finds people as conditions, as certain conditions improve, others worsen. And this idea of like, she says here, the movement of the water wasn't as intense as it had as it had been in the first few seconds. But for every small amount that it slowed and calmed, I felt waves of stress and strain, my breath pushing against the inside of my chest, wanting out and wanting more. So it's it's never more throughout this entire sequence. It's never more than a few beats of action before Wildbow goes back to the well of reminding us about the stakes. Victoria is running out of breath. Um, there, there are multiple people here. The water is is like going crazy like i just think it's like it's like when in a movie when you like cut back to an insert shot of the bomb numbers ticking down just to remind your audience of okay these are the stakes this is the constraint on us he goes back to that a lot and i think it really kind of carries you through the tension of the scene yeah absolutely it's funny because this isn't even the most intense um moment of, of, of this pair of chapters we're going to talk about and this is still really incredible writing and and it, it's well paced i agree in the sense that it's it's allowed the room that it needs to breathe no pun intended um <laughs> it doesn't rush through things frantically because it's a because because victoria is in a hurry nor does it drag obviously it's it's just it's kind of perfect um so anyway what's happening here is uh, basically, long story short, uh, due to the combined efforts of the different team members, um, despite you know the visual fuzziness and everything, uh, Byron provides illumination. Rain helps kind of keep people in position. Once she finds him, she kind of flies around, gathers people up, brings them to the hole in the in the ceiling that they made, and um, it finds lookout because she's signaling with her flash gun. Everything kind of comes together because of everyone's unique abilities. Uh, and, and she gets she gets everyone out uh, of this group anyway, not not uh, not the people who went in earlier. Um, but what happens also is, of course, Kinsey loses almost all of her tech that she was wearing due to the water damage. Yeah, and I don't want to read too much into that. But we're going to in a bit when the time comes for, for now, I think we have to 
say this is a pretty pretty significant event here. There has never been a time for Kenzie throughout the story where we know for a fact that she's 100% stripped of all her tech, right? There's never been a time in, in the present day story that we've seen that version of Kenzie. So I think that, that we're, we're kind of resetting her back to this, um, no tinker tech state is important, especially when you put it in, in the lens of what comes here in the, in the next chapter. Yeah. Yeah. Or this chapter great, rather. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great point. Um, yeah, so she goes back in, Victoria goes back in, she finds Damsel, uh, she finds Thane taking shelter in a cavity made by Damsel, and then she goes back to find the rest of them, um, who, as far as we know, are, like, way underwater. Yeah, I I know it's such a small beat here, but I wanted to call attention to something. There's this moment when, uh, she asks, uh, Damsel if it's okay if, if she leaves her here, and Damsel replies, you okay with making a lady wait when she can blast your head? Damsel, st- Damsel started. Her teeth chattered hard enough to interrupt her. Clean from your shoulders. So we talked about Damsel a lot last week, and I'm guessing we're going to be talking about her more um, in the coming chapters, the coming weeks. But I wanted to touch on this little bit here that I think this almost summarizes how I feel about her. Here we have this very classic damsel moment, this, this affect she's putting on this kind of hard indifference. Um, I'm going to kill you at any moment type of like super villain caricature that damsel is. But then Wildbo chooses to intercut this with like the cold reality of the situation. This is damsel, uh, projecting and that projection being cut by a moment of vulnerability, her, she's cold, her teeth are chattering. It's, it's, it's just a simple mundane human weakness that's intercutting in this, this affect of arch villainy gonna kill you all type stuff. And I think that's just like, that's cutting to the core of damsel, right? That this is just, this is just a projection. This is just, you're, 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 you're projecting out the person you want to be. Um, but that's not who you are. Yeah. The the whole scene is great because, uh, she appears to have saved Thane, right? Like sa- saved a person um, when she's supposed to be this badass villain, uh, and and then of course like she continues to sort of give the badass uh, one liner thing, but but is described as like nodding her head in a way that doesn't comport with the way she's speaking, as, right. as if she's like, yes, please save my beloved you know, only, only people I care about. Right. Um, and, but, but like she, even in this moment, she can't kind of let herself be earnest about that, um, with her words. So it's really great. It's, yeah. it's like, it's so revealing of her as a character. And I, I, I am so much more intrigued by what wild Bo is doing with these two characters than I was prior to us really getting into, um, these last few chapters. Yeah. So we learned that Sveta is fine now. Kingdom Come has been rinsed off of her. So she's all good. I mean, she's fine. <laughs> yeah, she's she's actually she's probably she's actually the worst off of the whole group at this point. I really uh, want to get into that in a yeah. big way when we get there. Yeah, um, because I think you're right. Yeah. Um, next, she find that Victoria finds Swan Song holding off the onrushing water using the anni- the annihilation component of her power. And the text says her power was directed at the hallway, a steady, continuous blast that bucked, kicked, and forced her to retain her control. I thought of fighting the shield as the wretch tugged at it. Man, I I love this moment so much. Yeah. Um, 
so, like it's such a badass moment like of her literally like blowing the water out of existence beating back the flow beating back the darkness whatever you want to whatever metaphors you want to attach to this it's it's great i love victoria directly connecting herself and her lack of control to ashley's difficulty maintaining control in this moment which is obviously a callback to the previous chapters musing on the the damsel ashley difference and how that difference manifests itself in how they control their power and and what that means for victoria that's another kind of callback to to this internal thought victoria is having about how is she going to finally get control of her wretch um what what will it take to get there and and she's once again you know connecting herself with swan song seeing someone with a similar problem as hers someone that has a similar lack of control that she does and it's it's just oh it's such a great moment i i i love i forgot how much i loved ashley because she's was so like background and she's back in a big way and i'm just loving it yeah it reminds me of the uh <clears throat> the seating chart fan art that we got that kind of highlighted the the comparisons between these characters yeah. and how how several of them her and Sveta and Ashley share this like control of their power um, struggle. Yeah. yeah. I, I also really like this a lot as reading it as like a connection back to Victoria's discussion of fear from the beginning of this chapter. Swan song is not bending to fear here. She's not succumbing to fear. She's actually directly fighting back. She is launching her power to fight back the, the tide of the thing that's that scares Victoria. So, I mean, this is really interesting to me, and it kind of ties into why, spoilers, this is going to be the topic of our discussion question this week. Um, what Swan Song is doing here is hard. She's struggling to maintain control. It's dangerous. But she's doing it. Like, she's 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 standing up to the fear. She's fighting back. And I, I think Swan Song is a lot further along in her recovery than Victoria is at this point. And that then Carol is at this point too. So maybe there's something to the idea of standing up to the fear instead of bending towards it, Victoria. I don't know. I'll, I'll leave you the rest of you guys to kind of come to a conclusion on that. But I just find that really, really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Me too. That that's, that's awesome. And I agree. This is a, an awesome moment actually. Um, yep. So she grabs Swan Song and crystal clear and pulls them out. And finally she can take a breath. Rat, ca- rat catcher's gone. Apparently she got away through event. Yeah, a, a throwaway line that's not at all set up for like one of the most badass reveals in the book. Yep. Not at all. Not at yep. all. Oh, we love that rat, rat catcher. So they, <laughs> they go back to Sveta and they help her open up her ball so she can get inside. Everyone remembers the ball. Yep, the ball. It's Sveta's favorite thing. Um, so... And I wanted to clarify just kind of like the dynamics of the scene because Sveta is kind of explaining what happened and and what she explains is Kingdom Come had splattered himself on the ceiling as a trap and Sveta saw this and then when she saw it, she immediately jumped out of her suit uh, in order to basically like insert herself between Thane and the control panel as like a living wall uh, so that Thane couldn't get any closer to the server. Is, is that all right? Yeah, I mean, my read on it was she kind of pulled like a an updated version of the Sveta grabs all the flags in the on the uh-huh. field at the same time thing. Like, I don't think she completely got out of her suit, but I think she released herself from it enough to do that. Except instead of flags, it's like chunks of viscera and body because wild bow. Um, but I, I think I think, yeah, that's what happened is she like she grabbed all the viscera 
onto herself. And then right before she felt being taken over, she moved to a place that she would hopefully not put any of her teammates in any kind of bodily harm. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. That all seems to to be like something she would do. Yeah. I mean, it's something I mean, it's something absolutely noble and brave that she did for the sake of her team. But she's Sveta. So um, her reaction to it is very much. I was reckless. I was stupid. I shouldn't have done this. Um, I, I forgot, I forgot who I was, which is a very kind of very coded type of way of, of wording things. Yeah. Um, and that kind of leads us into our whole Sveta conversation. Yeah. Yeah. yeah let, I guess we'll just, yeah, we'll, we'll get there right now, I guess, because yeah. Sveta basically, as they're about to leave, um, Sveta asks them to take her, her, you know, prosthetic body, but to leave behind the tentacles, the appendages that rain had made for her yeah. and the others like, like the others at first they're like, yeah, that's understandable. But then they convince her that they should bring them up, but leave them detached and not use them anymore. And Sveta complies. And I'm just conflicted about this, this whole interaction. I don't think I'm going to read the whole interaction because it's, it, it's, it's a lot of back and forth, but, but it's interesting how, um, she, she really doesn't want to bring the tentacles along. They really represent something like a massive, like regression to yeah. her. And I don't know if the other, and, and like, I'm personally like, I'm not sure I, I'm interested even in my own like reaction to this. Cause I was a little bit like mad at, um, Victoria for, for kind of pressuring her. Uh, from my point of view, pressuring her to to, to bring them because I'm like, this is one of those things where, like, it's just not that important to to bring the arms. Like, Svet, they really bother her. They really represent something bad for her. She's not going to use them. Like, yeah, I guess they're good material. That that's what Ashley says. That's the closest thing to like a good reason. Yeah. But- well, it, I mean, it it, it kind of comes off that they're valuing like the potential damage it could do to Rain above the very real and direct psychological damage it's doing to Sveta in the moment. Um, and and I, so I, I think I can understand why that would frustrate you. I, I mean, I find this really interesting because when we first saw these arms, I was like, that's weird. But that's something that Sveta would want. The person who like strives to be human and like, like she, she is most happy when she's most able to pass as, um, not like a, a monstrous tentacle thing. I was like, that's weird. And I guess what, what, what this is revealed here is that like rain just like said, I've got a way to help and just kind of made these things yeah. without telling Sveta yeah. and then just like presented them to her as like, look at this thing I made for you that I thought would help you. And Sveta, because she's the type of person she is, presumably was just like, thanks. I'll right. wear them. Cause you yeah. worked hard on them. And then of course she goes through this terrible, awful event that like really in her mind sets her back. Like that she's, she's kind of back to being the person who, who sees herself as this monster that is uncontrollable and whatever, um, progress she had made that allowed her to, at least just for the sake of someone else to sit in this suit, um, she can't handle that anymore. She's she's too screwed up right now. Yeah, and that's uh, I think this is something we've talked about a bit off and on is this idea that Sveta is the most like she see she generally seems to be the most put together of the group. Yeah, 
in terms of being of having a handle on her issues, but in actuality, she's the most worse off of the group. Yeah, I mean, I, I, you could probably make an argument with that, but I, I don't want to. Um, but I think that's why that's why I think Victoria is so I don't want to say dismissive, but like so like, come on, just compromise on this because Sveta puts off this front of like her relentless positivity puts off this front of everything's okay. Everything's fine. I'm doing it. I'm going to make it. Um, uh, like she, she like is kind of relentlessly positive to the point of, I think people in her group don't fully understand the, the magnitude of how bad she has it. And I think, I do think you're right that like everything that each one of these people is, is, um, struggling with like everyone else on her team the things that they're struggling with with maybe with the exception of kenzie but eh, i think you can kind of slot that in if you you, like squint a little bit sveta is also suffering from those same things like this idea of controlling of your body controlling of your power um this idea of you know um like wanting people to like you and, and people treating you as, as if you're a monster, this idea of, of the image of your past trauma being there and around you at all times. Like she's got it all. She's got it all. Yeah. And, and having a dark past, a dark and bloody past. Right. That, that was deeply traumatizing to her. And, and, you know, we've never been inside her head, even back in worm. Like we don't know how she would respond to, like a really bad slip up, you know, let, let, let's, you know, if she actually had killed someone here, like, uh, I, I think when we were chatting about this earlier, I was like, I don't think it would take that much to push Sveta into like slaughterhouse nine level, like monstrosity, because I, I mean, again, I, I, we don't know what her, her, her inner life is like, but like, if you just look at the, like the situation, it's like, it's kind of incredible how well she does hold it together. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I think, I think you're right. And I think the game we were playing, when we were chatting uh, in Gchat earlier today was like, let's take thing that person on breakthrough is is suffering through like Ashley. Ashley's suffering through. She was this thing created to kill and destroy. And she she both has the memories of of being her past self, but also this realization that she was created to be this thing. Uh, Who else has that same problem? Oh, that's. That's Sveta has that same problem. And like you can you can go through each and every one of their problems and 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 find some a, a way that Sveta is also suffering from that same thing. And yeah. I, I, I do think like she's been kind of underlooked by us, um, by the, the the members of her team as this person that is really has a really, really hard time. And, and it kind of just flies under the radar because she has, she has that positive, that wonderful positive outlook. Like she wants to see the best she wants. She, she needs that glass to be half full at all times. And I think that, that people kind of overlook the depth of what's going on with her. And I always go back to that, the, the Jessica Yamada question, Matt, of, of who's the one on this team that Jessica was, was most concerned about. And, and part of this, these musings I was doing today was like, God, could it be, could it be sweet little tentacle lady? Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, I admit it. It's, it's funny. I feel like we're doing the Byron thing that I was doing before <laughs> where we're like, we, we have 
we have the least reason to worry about Sveta. Thus, we're the most worried about her. Well, um, yeah, but, I mean, but it's not it's not really the same because I think we do have reason to be worried about her. It's just, yeah, I'm I'm not worried about her in like a um, she's plotting to do something evil kind of way. I'm worried about her in a um, could she potentially get pushed to a place um, that is bad for her and others. And and I don't I don't know. I mean, it it seems like she comes out of this thing in, in a bad, in bad, bad, bad shape. What happened today hurt a lot of people. A lot of these characters are in bad shape. I think Sveta is low key. The one, the most suffering right now. And and yeah. that is, that is like scary for her. And so I think that's why we're, we're talking about this now. I don't, yeah. I'm not, I'm not ready to chocolate her, Matt. I don't think she's going to be this <laughs> evil, terrible thing, but I, I think, I don't know. I'm, I'm just worried. Yeah, I mean, there's candy in this arc, too. So There is. There is very but, distinctly candy. But, yeah, she spends the rest of the arc in, a, in her ball, right. which, which Victoria describes as Sveta's hell. Right. Um, even when, yeah, well, yeah, okay. We'll, 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 we'll get, get there. there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, so they get back to the surface. Swansong gives Lookout a big hug, and Damsel looks on, fidgeting with her claw hands. Yeah, um, let's talk about this for a minute, Matt. What, what do we think? We think we're saying here. I mean, Damsel seems to have a real, genuine like um, I don't, attraction. Feels like the wrong word, but yeah, like she, affection. Yeah, affection. There we go. She really cares about Kenzie, like seemingly to the same level that Swan Song does, which is understandable. Is this just like Ashley's been like, like sharing stories about how great Kenzie is and and what happened to Kenzie with Damsel? all this time and that's just kind of rubbed off in her away or is this do we want to get into like shard fuckery because we know that ashley's shards we know that ashley has this weird memory thing where she's getting other memories that aren't hers and and her and her clones are sharing memories in a kind of way is this is this what's going on here i i don't like to punt all character interactions off on shards because i think that takes away from the growth and the change of the character but it could be yeah, I see. I I don't think you're wrong to say that that she has an affection for Kenzie specifically, but this particular scene I interpreted as not necessarily being about Kenzie, but about being the concept, you know, the the conceptual uh, representation of what Kenzie means in this moment, where where a- Ashley is hugging Kenzie, Kenzie is hugging her, and she's sitting there looking down at her claw hands and realizing that she can't she she can't really share that she can't yeah. like stroke the hair of a of, of a of a little friend who looks up to her like that it's for her you know she's she kind of holds on to this view of like i'm going to be the badass super villain but but like yeah but then you don't get to just have like basic human contact and she she's she's seeing that and realizing how yeah. much she wishes she had it no, I like I like that a lot. Yeah, like the it doesn't it's just the act of affection coming from a person that looks exactly like her but has just made different choices. Yeah. 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 I I think that's really great. I like that a lot. Yeah. I will I will accept that. Okay. I like um also we we take the time to sh- to notice that Rain has noticed the arms and and notices it in a very Rain-like way. Rain looks at the tentacles Crystal Clear carried. He didn't remark at anything, instead turning to survey the situation, almost the opposite of what Damsel was doing. So he just kind of like, uh, okay, yeah. I, I noticed that. I'm not going to do anything about it. I just, just I noticed it. 
Yeah. It's going to kind of don't don't wanna make a big deal out of it. Yeah. Don't, don't want to rock the boat. I'm not looking at the those specifically and, and wondering why she's not wearing anymore. I'm just going to look at um, how's everything going? Yeah, <laughs> it's just a total rain move. It's it's very much rain and I like it a lot. Um, yeah, me too. It almost serves to justify like like I wonder if uh, I wonder if they had showed up without them and just like we're Sveta. She's in her ball. If he would have just been like, oh, OK, but like. I almost think like this compromise makes draws more attention to the fact that Sveta's not using the arms. Yeah, right. They're just because because they're gonna have to have the conversation where they're like, "Oh yeah, here's the arms. Please cannibalize yeah. them and use the parts because Sveta doesn't want them." Yeah, like, like yeah, like like Rain, buddy, you're great. Yeah. I appreciate this. Sveta does not want to look like that. Like that's yeah. not her thing. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah, I mean, with the way Tinker powers work, for all we know, he just like. That that's what his power wanted to build, and so right, he built right. it. You know, yeah. like it, it's yeah, yeah. So, um, I I like this. I love this bit of Victoria being her group's psychological analyst and, and leader, <laughs> where she's kind of looking over the situation and, and very rapidly is like, I could look across the group and I could see the people who had very little fight left in them. Me, Ashley, Sveta, Rain had taken a bit of a beating, but that was usual. By contrast, Lookout and Capricorn looked fairly eager to go. I knew that they had their own issues, that Tristan was on edge from earlier in the night, still battling some demon I didn't know the name of. Lookout's demon was named Lookout, accompanied by a yin-yang extension of that struggle currently in the form of Monokeros. Uh I'm so glad you pulled this out, Matt. Uh, it's it's really good. Like I love the the dig on Earth Gimmel's best punching bag rain. Um yep. While also like being a pretty deft, just quick examination of those two characters' problems, I, I on a reread, Wildbow kind of coyly setting up Monokeros as a yin yang extension of Kenzie's problem is brilliant because like it's like we're clearly setting up that like a, an important part of Kenzie's choice and Kenzie's issue is going to center around this person. Like th- this, this is, this person is going to matter very much to Kenzie's continued well-being and health. And I love, we, we've just kind of we laid those seeds a little bit here. And I think that makes the moment that we're going to get to in a bit pay off even more, even better because it's like, right. we've laid the seeds. It's like, look, here's lookouts demon. Monokeros is, is a, is a, key cog in that demon because she's a person that gives Kenzie almost exactly what she wants and and let's see how that plays out right yeah her, her power is almost like a power that is expressly designed to push down on the button that Kenzie has that right. makes her susceptible to, 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 to it gives her the problems that she has exactly and, yeah and um yeah so it's a it's the ultimate test you could say you could so Victoria and Capricorn try to steer the group toward deferring to Crystal Clear, letting <laughs> him lead. Um, but Monokuros detects that there's a game afoot, uses her power to verify that Capricorn is lying when he says they aren't acting against Goddess. Uh, Crystal Clear isn't really much of a leader. He doesn't really have a plan anyway beyond just like get away and try to report on the situation. So he kind of he kind of wanders away. Yeah, I mean, it's I love how this plays out. Like Crystal Clear is like. So, something's wrong. Yeah. <laughs> I can't, I don't know what it is. You're all acting weird. And, and like the one thing we know about crystal clear from his interlude is that like his, he has a difficulty kind of explaining 
like his power to people, like explaining the things that he sees and, and how to interpret it, like giving that word to people is something he struggles with. So like we're, we're still very much in crystal clear territory. Like we still very much recognize this character from the very beginning of the book. And, and it's even like more so now because goddess is like mucky mucking up all the mucky muck. Yeah. Yeah. I, I like that we get to see inside his head so early to kind right. of actually yeah. understand him. Cause otherwise I, if we didn't see inside his head, I just don't know what I would make of him, you know, but yeah. I have a really clear impression. No pun would, intended. Would you, would you say it's crystal? <laughs> I, I would say that. Uh, we're going to lose some subscribers for that one. Yeah. This is, this episode's rough. All right. <laughs> um, then the most tense scene in, all of fiction oh uh, occurs. I think I was like literally frozen in place, like trying not to breathe while reading this following scene. Oh, it's so good. And, and before we get into it, I just want to talk a bit about how Wildbus sets it up to accomplish that because we have this problem. We have Monikeros. She has been like the bee in everyone's bonnet for the past few chapters. It's like, all right, what are we going to do? And then everyone has to like kind of, talk around what they actually want to do because of her. And so she's been this very clear and present danger for everyone. Um, but in this moment we think, okay, it's, it's going to be fine. Like, yes, they have to find a way to kind of fool or get around Monikeros. Um, but they outnumber her. It's going to be fine. Um, they might have to reveal themselves as working against goddess. And then that's going to bring the goddess conflict to the forefront suddenly. But, but that's just driving us towards the, the, the conflict. It's going to be fine. And then suddenly she calls Kenzie and says, Kenzie, let's go. And and like the the entire tone of of the work shifts, like everything suddenly like becomes less. Okay, it's going to be fine. The the convicts, we're going to figure out. And it's just like, fuck, (laughs) it's just like and, and, and the book seems to recognize that. And it's like it's like you cut the the background noise or something like in in word form yeah um, everything everything else drowns away and it's just like kenzie and monikeros and there's nothing else and i just think it's set up so wonderfully yeah um my recollection of like the actual experience of reading was that like i didn't fully um like grasp the gravity is of what was happening. Like I, w- I was like always like a sentence too late in, in like getting it because you just like don't want to, to get it, you know? Cause basically, basically she, Monacaro says right out, like goddess gave her to me as a gift, explicit meaning. Like I'm going to go serial murder her now. Right. And, 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 and I, and I like didn't parse it that way the first time. It wasn't until I saw how, how everyone was reacting to it that I was like, oh shit, she's going to go kill her like right now. She's going to just like take her away and, and kill yeah. her for fun. Um, and that, and every, yeah. To me, that is something that feels deliberate because we, we, we took Monikeros and we established her as this great, big, disgustingly gross threat, right? Like yeah. the, the, one of the first things we do is establish exactly what she does, who she does it to, how many times she's done it and how disgusting and horrifying it is. And then Time goes on a little bit. And then we have a few beats throughout the last few chapters that have almost been like jokes at Monikeros's expense. Like, 
like, eh, should we save her? I don't know. Let Maybe yeah. we just let her die. Maybe we like, and it's just like, we've kind of deflated her scariness a bit um, to kind of lull both the reader and I think the rest of the group into this kind of false sense of security where she's, she's a problem that can be surmounted, but not like a, 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 a threat threat. And then it's like the book flips a switch and goes, no, no, remember, like, this is who she is. Do you remember this? And you're just like, oh, oh, yeah. 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 And, and the way she handles it is, is like, so perfectly, like, vicious and effective yeah. because, um, you know, I mean, just to, to summarize, like, I, I don't know how to do it justice. I'm not going to read the whole, like, scene, obviously. But, like, <laughs> she she uses her power on Kenzie and tells her, you know, like, come with me if any of your team tries to follow stab yourself in the throat as many times as you can with the shiv. Um, and if you do it right, I'm going to be really proud of you. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's completely fucked up. And, and like, and you as the reader are like, Oh, this is horrible. Cause this is the perfect thing to say to Kenzie yeah. Yeah. that will absolutely work on her. And, and no one, and no one can follow, like no one has a power that would like circumvent the situation. So they're, they're, they're completely, um, it's not even a standoff because they're they're just gonna lose. Like they, they're, yeah, they've lost. Yep. Yeah, yeah. And and then lookout responds. It doesn't really work that way though. Her voice was small. I do more than I'm asked for homework, and the teachers get annoyed. I work hard on my projects, and my team gets upset because I'm overworking myself. Every minute I'm working hard, and it is hard. There's this feeling in the back of my head, like I can imagine the warm fuzzy feeling when they're amazed and happy. I've, I've made them happy. That's what pushes me to do it. But it never works out the way I hope because I hope too much. And then instead of complying, she drops the shiv and then the team charges and Monokuros um, is grabbed by Antares and Swansong, the two big sisters. Uh, they get a hold of her. They drop her down the bye-bye hole. Bye-bye. Matt. Matt. Yeah. Matt. This, this is so amazing. I know. Like, like you said, Monokeros played right into her heart's desire, right into the thing we know Kenzie wants more than anything. And Kenzie, Kenzie, God bless you, has a motherfucking breakthrough. Like she, she literally has a breakthrough in this moment. She realizes the error of her ways. These are things that we've seen her communicate before. She said these things when when she first had the conversation with Victoria. She said she was aware of these things, that she knew that if I if I make these choices, if I do these things, it, it makes things worse. I know that, but I can't help it. So, like, it's not just that she, it's not just in this moment that she she voices this. It's that she voices this and then drops that damn shiv yeah. and. I love that that we take the time to to show how this plays out. Like, like Monacaro says, you want to impress me, don't you? You can feel me big in your head and in your heart. Hold on to that feeling and believe. I want you to believe. If they step forward or give you any reason and you do as I've told, I've told, then this will be the time that matters. Believe that. And Kenzie responds right before she drops that knife. I believe you. So it isn't that she like sniffed out that she was lying. It isn't that she sniffed out that she was manipulating her. It isn't that she doesn't trust that what Monokeros is saying is true. It's that she did trust that this was true. It's that she she did trust that that she would be happy with her. 
And she realized now in this moment that the wanting of that was bad, that the going above and beyond was bad. The hoping and the desire and the need to make someone happy at at the expense of, of everything else is not good. She believes her and she drops the knife. And I think that's that's my favorite part of it is is not that, like it, it very easy without that line in here to say it's just like, oh, she just sniffed out that she was um, just trying to manipulate her. She's just look out's really smart and she sniffed that out. But that's that's not that's not what this is. She yeah. believed her. Yeah, I really like that analysis. I really like that. And, and I think that ties in with this idea that we've had for the last few kind of episodes about how the story is using this mind control element to, to challenge the characters in ways that are kind of the perfect way to challenge these particular characters. Um, yeah. Put them, put them under a kind of stress that is pushing them in a direction that they're like the least comfortable with in the world, you know, and uh, Monica Russ power. I don't know if you could necessarily call it mind control, but it is definitely a mind affecting power it's exactly the kind of mind affecting power that you would expect Kenzie to be vulnerable to. And here's an example of her using her therapy honed coping mechanisms and strategies and, and, and superior thought patterns he's adopted to essentially break out of this effect, um, via the mechanism of just, um, having grown, you know, it's, it's beautiful. It it is, it is absolutely beautiful. And, I, I want to pose this thought to you and I, I don't I don't want this thought to take away from Kenzie's growth here at all because this is an amazing moment. It's a moment that she's earned. It's a moment that the story has earned and I think it pays off entirely well. But I, I don't I don't think it's a coincidence that that all her tech is gone when she makes this this decision, when she makes this choice, when she has this breakthrough, that she's kind of stripped down to just herself and she doesn't have the phone to fall back into or her database to run into to check stuff or, or she, she, that all that's been stripped away from her and it's just her and just Monikeros. And, and this is the moment that she makes that choice. I, I don't think it removes, I don't think it takes away from the importance to, to point that out. Yeah, no, I, I love that. I mean, and she even has her flash gun. But the point is, I, I think that's what I, I think that this actually goes to your point is that it almost wouldn't have mattered if she had that because Monikeros is immune to her targets right. anyway. Um, because she, she tries to use the flash gun on her, it doesn't work. So, like the, the point, the point is, um, Kinsey is like utterly defenseless. Yeah, and 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 that is kind of what pushes her to the point of being able to just give, you know, give into her better nature, I guess you could say. Yeah. Well, and it's, I mean, she doesn't have the kind of crutch to lean on, right? Like anytime something bad happens, it was like, okay, um, do, do something on my phone that yeah. gets some information from about my step parents, um, dive yeah. into a database and find out something about this and find a way I could like try to figure out what this person is thinking, try to read something via a camera shot of them or like a, 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 st- a facial recognition pattern or a social, like yeah. she, th- th- all that's gone. She doesn't have any of that. It's just, it's just her. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's awesome. And so because we're not done um, giving everyone credit, because I think this is such a fantastic moment that everyone deserves credit for. Can we just like give everyone a round of applause for not just like immediately brutally murdering this person? Like, like they like the, the things that Monikeros was saying to 
the team about what she was going to do to Kenzie were horrific. And again, Ashley and Damsel do not kill her. They they don't kill her. They they drop her down a hole and seal it. Um, she'll, she's in timeout. But Victoria says, no, no, we are not killers. That is not who we are. Um, and so they don't do it. And I think that's just pat yourselves on the back, guys. Good job. Yeah. Yeah. I think this is I'm pretty sure like 99 percent of the fandom would have just been like, yeah, that was fine if, if, they, if they had killed her, actually. I, I was pushed um, to the point where I was like. Yeah, she probably probably deserve that. <laughs> but yeah. but I think it's better for them all to not do that. And and man, it is lucky that Chris isn't with the group at this yeah. point, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And no, I mean you're right that it's better, but it's 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 better for them. Right. Well, you know, yeah. that, that was that was your wording, but like it's better to not have that on your hands, even if it was a serial killer who would be on death row. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't. Yeah, again, I don't want to get into the uh, deciding of whether or not Monacaris deserves to die or not. I think I'm just saying that it's better that for our characters who are trying to to grow and become better people, that they are not the ones that have her blood on their hands. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so then the next thing that happens is Swan Song gives Lookout a little pep talk. I was so happy. Like it's it's. I, I love this book so much and I enjoy even the most disturbing, disgusting parts of it. But like, it's rare that I'm just like, this is warming my heart. And the, this was a moment that just is warming my heart. Uh, can we, let's just, can we just read it, Matt? Can we just read please, it? please do. Ashley says my first genuine friend that doesn't have my DNA. And you know, that's a high bar when it comes to quality. I turned to look at Swan, Swan Song talk to look out a small laugh from Lookout. And if you want to know for sure when people are proud of you, when people think you're amazing, then you should know that this and it just trails off there because Victoria decides this conversation isn't for me and I'm not going to listen to it anymore. And that's it's such a beautiful moment. It's a beautiful moment between these two characters that are kind of like reuniting. Um, They've been apart from each other through various ways. Um, And. I, I just I love I love every bit of it. I love it all. I love like we see a laugh from Lookout here and like there's part of you that could argue, oh, is that like how she smiles and laughs when she's uncomfortable? And it's like, no, I don't think in this moment. I think that's just a genuine laugh from Kenzie who is just genuinely happy about that. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. Yeah, I, I didn't read anything negative into that. <clears throat> um, All right. So next Crystal clear. Yeah, we're moving on from that scene. We're going to leave it behind now. It was great. So now Crystal Clear makes it a short distance away, uh, and then he comes back because the whammy has whammied off the team and onto him. Uh, oh, we, no. later, we learned pretty soon that this is probably when Goddess got her power battery back. Yeah, I like this because it's one of those like confusing in the moment things like where you're like, wait, he just left, and now he's back, and now he's mind control. How did... And he says, like, something bounced off it came from you and you're like what what does that mean but the reveal to this comes quickly enough that you're able to still recall it and connect those dots pretty quickly i actually think this is like an underrated skill that wildbow has that i think is actually something that's more challenging that it comes off when you're just reading a book like the ability to set something up but know the precise timing to pay it off in a way that the reader is just like wait what and doesn't need to be reminded about the thing that you're paying off. Like, right. I think it's, I think it's like a, it's, it's a balancing act to know when to do that, how long to wait. Um, and I think he, he does it pretty well here. 
Right. Yeah. Cause you, you, you're like, okay, well I'm sure that'll be explained. And then right. like you just said before, before you forget it is. And then yeah, yeah it's perfect. And he doesn't need like a sentence or two reminding it was like, oh, this is why crystal clear randomly was whammied. Remember right. that? Like yeah. he doesn't need yeah. that because it was close enough to where you're just like, I gotcha. Yeah. It's well said. Yeah. So Victoria and the team head over to kind of the makeshift staging area in the buffer world, uh, searching for Natalie or for rat catcher and making sure Amy isn't sneaking up on her. <laughs> Eventually she cites all three of them and also Chris, who is changing from a fin shaped plague disgust thing into something else. The twisted vulture vulture roadkill from before. And uh, he looks at the team and in Victoria says that he communicated in, in one look. He was with goddess as we were, but he was no longer one of us. Um, and, and my reaction here is as usual, swing and a miss, Victoria, you have <laughs> partially interpreted Chris's uh, state of mind correctly, but, but incorrectly in an important and crucial way. Yeah. I mean, it's, it, well, it's like, it's one of those things that's, you're right. It's not technically wrong. Like, he hasn't changed to the betrayal form yet. Right. So he's probably technically still with goddess. Um, and yeah, he probably is, and he probably is technically no longer one of them too. I want, like, I, I'm really, I guess I'm jumping ahead of myself. We have a lot to say about Chris and his killing of goddess. So we'll, we'll get to that, uh, in a yeah. bit, but I, I just want to like this, um, scene, plays super well there's something like final to all of it right like goddess is standing there victoriously she's won this is her army she's won they're before us and here next to her is amy and chris we have we have our our team breakthrough is finally back together after being apart for so long except that chris is missing like and and like so we have this moment of okay we've lost our team member our 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 goddess has won but there's also an underlying feeling of oh no to that and it's just this like this moment that just plays really well as this like climactic but in a weird way moment and i think that actually makes the next chapter pay off better because the next chapter kind of feels like um an epilogue in some ways at the beginning and then it like morphs into something else yeah yeah uh, that's a very interesting way of phrasing it and i don't think i ever would have described it that way but i know exactly what you mean that's that's interesting yeah so 9.15 opens up the chapter drawing our attention to the enemies within the milieu how everyone and everything is not hunky-dory just because everybody is aligned under goddess the people who hate each other still hate each other they just all listen to goddess first yeah i I love like we've been talking about goddess's mind control for like 13 chapters, Matt. Um, and it's, it's fascinated me from the start. And, and so it's not a surprise that here 15 chapters later, it's still fascinating me. Her control is so like inherently destructive. Like it's like all you guys hate each other, but you all have to work together because, because you all let report to me. Like, it's like, it's, she's like the poster child for terrible leadership. And it just feels like something that's, only sustainable through violence and destruction, right? Like there, there is never going to be any kind of symbiosis in, in a leadership structure like this. It's just never, ever, ever going to happen. And I, I like that we're getting that here because I think that is important to the end of the chapter. Right. Like, yeah, you can imagine if she had, you know, made it that, that these groups would persist in trying to backstab each other constantly. Right. 
while while being under her and like yeah it wouldn't it wouldn't really be that much of an improvement i think they absolutely would i mean i think we have later here a discussion with rain where um his his friend aaron is threatened and i think that threat would have absolutely been carried through and goddess wouldn't care as long as you do what i say still so yeah i mean it's like it's an inherently violent form of control and it's man not good yep um so uh yeah so victoria is very much off kilter due to amy's present lurking presence lurking around her periphery uh, she thinks I could rationalize and reassure myself and those reassurances about her character and the girl I'd grown up with fell to pieces when I thought about how she'd repeatedly breached my boundaries. When she'd used her power on me in the first place, if only that, I could have maybe forgiven. When she'd used it on me a second time, following my explicit no, because I'd been scared and I'd been dissolving alive, when she'd repeatedly, constantly showed up despite my best wishes. Um, So this is... Yet, yet more of the inexorable, um, but, but very gradual shift of Victoria's perspective on Amy, which may not even qualify as that, but the sentence I could maybe have forgiven in the context of Amy (laughs) seems, seems important. Yeah, no, I I think, I think you're absolutely right that this, this, I think that that is a shift. I don't know if Amy or if Victoria from a few arcs ago would have said that the initial thing would have been fine or or forgivable, at least had it stopped there. Um, But but I do like this. I kind of went down the rabbit hole a little bit with this one, Matt, because I was thinking about like what is bad in the parahumans universe? Like what what is bad and what is like truly unforgivably awful because a lot of characters in this book do bad things, right? Like some of our favorite characters, in fact, have in the past done really, really bad things. Um, but I, I, I want to like, I want to parse what I think the book is saying about like what is bad and what is, what is that unforgivable, unforgivable stuff. And I think like this slots very nicely into our, our, our assumed, are analyzed discussions about the theme of, of forgiveness and recovery as it comes to this book, because everybody does bad things. Um, sometimes people do really bad things, but what separates a bad, a person who does a bad thing from a bad person is change the desire to change the desire to learn and to grow from our bad choices. Victoria here sees Amy as a bad person, not just a person who has done bad things because in her mind, she keeps doing them. She keeps coming back. She keeps being there. She keeps trying to fix everything. She keeps showing up. She has not learned. She has not grown. She has not tried to change she has squashed second chance and third chance and fourth chance. And and that's, that's the person that Victoria sees here. And I think this is very fitting when you like, when you examine that in the lens of, of what goddess represents in this story, I think. Yeah. Um, this is very, very interesting. So do you think, do you think the book is saying this or do you think this is Victoria's mentality or or do you think those are the same thing? Uh, I, I think, I think the book is not judging Amy. Um, 
I, I do think the book is drawing Amy as, as a comparison to a type of person who is not like learning from mistakes and how that is becoming detrimental to her recovery, to Victoria's recovery, to this general idea of recovery. Yeah. Um, Definitely a very parahumans theme to say like, like the, the person who, who doubles down rather than learning and, and changing in response to negative feedback is, is usually, usually a person who, ends up failing right uh, and, and eventually that is, and that is exactly who goddess is and that is exactly yeah. why goddess is bad and that is exactly why this book punishes goddess by taking her life away from her because she did made a choice and we'll talk about this a little bit when we get there but she made a choice um and then she was given a second chance and her response was to make the same choice over and over again to do to to return to that status quo to get back to that way and she has arguments for why she has to do it and we'll we'll talk about that in a bit but i think that is that is the bad part about goddess um, yeah and that is what i think victoria sees in amy and and i have to say i i, I I think the book does see that in Amy to a certain extent. I, I don't think she's like like saying, oh, Amy is a is definitely a bad person. But I think the book is showing Amy as a person that is missing the point a lot of the times and is is making bad choices. And she always she like she's very tailored in the way that she always has good reasons for those choices. Like, I think she she's she means the best. And we're getting ahead of ourselves here. So maybe we'll just move on. But I just want to be thinking about this as we as we kind of circle the drain of of Amy's decision at the end of this chapter. <laughs> well, well said. <laughs> All right. So the team takes a little breather while they deliberate on who to talk to next. Kinsey complains about her broken gear, which is both obviously a valid and understandable thing to worry about. Um, it also puts our team on the back foot because their star tinker is basically out of the game yeah, and is kind of a setup for Kenzie's inevitable new and improved gear that she's going <laughs> to build soon. Right. Uh, and then, and then rain has a little bit talking about uh, how the idea of having a place of his own, um, like a cabin or something appeals to him a lot. And then swan song and damsel chime in with their aesthetic input on what uh, should go into such a, a, uh, abode there, there's a lot in here from a character point of view it's nice that we're touching base with all the characters and kind of letting them take a breather relax remember who they are when they're not fighting for their lives it, it's important to do this yeah. um, especially especially toward the end of, a, of an arc that's been been full of of action yeah it's all very good and it's all very funny and i like it a lot i like um i like rain's very true to character desire like this idea for a place of his own a cabin a solitary life where he doesn't have to answer to anyone um he he is his own boss like that makes a lot of sense for a person who's always been around a community that has brainwashed and controlled him his entire life that's a very understandable desire to have but this is what i was talking about when i was talking about how it feels like an epilogue because this is the kind of conversation you have after the fighting's done, right? Um, we did it. We won. Now let's talk about what happens tomorrow. Um, I've got to get, I got to start working on my new gear. I'd be sure great if I could get some time in a cabin. Um, and then joking back and forth about that. And, and all these wonderful character beats of characters who finally get to like relax a little bit. It's, it's very like post battle relaxing chatter. And it's, it's uncomfortable because we know better 
And so does Victoria. Like, so, so underneath all this like great, relaxing, funny banter that we're getting, there's this current of unease. We know this isn't over. Victoria on some level knows this isn't over. And I love how this is handled because like they're having this kind of relaxing banter talking about the future. And Rain says something about like speaking of and, and, and Swan Song says, and now we're free. She looked around or something. And that like we when then we're back, like it's like the yeah. this the sunny epilogue ends and we're back with Victoria saying something. They were talking yeah. about the future and dreams. And all I could think about was the uncertainty before us. So it's like we have the we, we kind of skirt into this rosy um, epilogue and then it's like, oh, wait, no. Um, Goddess is the bad guy. Remember, <laughs> we still haven't defeated the bad guy. Yeah, I mean, I, I did the cinematic thing again where they're, as they're having the conversation, you're getting shots that are like of their faces, maybe like an up angle of, of them and, and, and their reactions to what the other people are saying. And and, and then when, when when it says she she looked around or something, I imagine the camera taking a shot from like an, an above angle showing them and kind of like the the other capes around them getting yeah. ready to fight. and. Yeah. Um, like villains everywhere and medical supplies. Like clearly, clearly you're still in the middle of a battlefield. In fact, you're um, the, the, the announced plan is that you're now going to be going, you know, into another battle. So, right. Yeah. We don't know that yet, but uh, uh, we'll, we'll look at there pretty quick. Um, so that before they kind of end their kind of uh, discussion, they turn their focus to Chris and to their enemies. And they point out that Chris has changed way too many times today. And they immediately are like, did Amy do it? Or Victoria is immediately like, did Amy do it? Is this Amy's fault? Um, and, and I think that's interesting because we'll learn later that she's, she says no, right? That to like, this wasn't her. Um, so I think it like, I think it is setting up a, a kind of reckless abandonment on Chris's behalf. Like he's, he's making choices that, um, are going to hurt him in the future, but he's like desperate. Like the, the, he, like the, this is, it ends up being their last best choice. And like, I think they don't understand in the moment, like why is Chris being so reckless here? Like, why would he behave like this? This doesn't make any sense. And, and it's cause he's, he's playing chess behind the scenes with his forms and they don't know it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that's, that all makes sense to me. So, so there's this moment here before they decide to approach goddess that Victoria wants to split up the team. She says, um, look out, you shouldn't come with us. Um, and it's for a lot of reasons. She says it's because, um, Monacaris will, her, her absence will immediately be noticed by goddess. If Kenzie is standing there, at least if Kenzie is away, she can be like, Oh, she, Monacaris is off with Kenzie somewhere. Uh, her, her secret desire behind this is, she doesn't know what's going on with Chris and she thinks Chris leaving the group and Kenzie having to be witness to Chris kind of betraying their group would be very difficult for her. She just doesn't want her there. And lookout is basically like, no, <laughs> like yeah. she's just like, uh, uh-uh. Victoria's like, I have a gut feeling about this. And, and Kenzie's response is I have a heart feeling about this. And <laughs> Victoria loses this argument. She ends up relenting, right? Like she, she doesn't want to, but, and like it's almost as if look at like earned that right. Like she earned the right to dictate that we're staying together here because she just fucking defeated Monacaros and, and Victoria can't argue with that. Like I, 
I th- I think we're kind of seeing how the group treats Kenzie shifting now because I think Victoria always saw she's the youngest member of the team. She's a kid. She was always treated as a kid with kind of kids gloves. And I think she's like starting to earn her stripes in their mind to where like if she makes an argument like she's right, we got to we got to trust her. Yeah, I mean, th- there's definitely like a, a complete absence of condescension from Victoria. It's, right. it's just like, okay, all right. Yeah, I mean, it's mostly annoyance because she thinks she's in the right here and that she shouldn't come, but she does it anyway. Yeah, I'm always fascinated when when Breakthrough has internal disagreements and how they and how they handle them because I I I, I, I we saw this happen earlier with Sveta's tentacles. Mm-hmm. It's happening again here. There's a disagreement. Somebody gets their way. Somebody doesn't get their way. And like, I, I always have this feeling of like, oh, well, so-and-so is not going to be happy with this. And, <laughs> and then I'm like, well, well, that's, I mean, isn't, I mean, what, what other outcome could there be? Like, you can't always just like discuss it until everyone agrees. Right. So, so I, I'm always... I always feel like I'm like, oh, they could have handled that better. And then I'm like, well, wait a minute. Like, how could they have handled that better? <laughs> um, and I'm not sure that they could have. It's just it's just I have I, I always feel like there's more to, to dig into in, in, in terms of how they have their conflict uh, and their conflict resolution. Well, the thing that I appreciate so much about it is you normally when there's, you know, kind of mandatory compromise, um, there's always kind of like some leftover resentment by the the team who felt like they had to give in more than the other person. And that's something we never see in this group. Like they have a conflict, they decide on an outcome and we don't really see that kind of internal resentment for like, Oh, you won. That's not fair. Um, that, that's something that I don't think we've ever seen. And, and I think that that is like a testament to their communication ability and probably their, their origin as a therapy group. Um, but I think that's one of the very interesting aspects of it at least. Yeah, I mean they're they're all they're all well except maybe Chris. Well, <laughs> the, the, yeah, the, the, they're all really good like team players. Um, yeah. in in the sense that they don't they don't really they don't gossip about each other, even though it's like probably very tempting to do so. Um, I, I'm not gonna say they they don't ever gossip about each other, but if if they do talk about each other, it's it's like functional, right? Well, I mean the team knows Chris's deal, and they have still yet to tell Victoria about it. Yeah. So, I would say they don't gossip very much at all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, Chris, Chris is always the weird one. In, in yeah, this. I mean, he's he's. I I think it's so fitting that I don't know how long Chris is going to leave the story. I think it is not going to be an insignificant amount of time, and I I think it's very structurally clever to have the person who always felt like the outsider on the team to literally become the outsider of the yeah. team to to make that choice. Um, it just means it's going to be a while till we get back to him. It's yeah. a bummer. Possibly, possibly. All right, maybe All right. we'll just throw a curveball. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. So they decide they're going to all together do what Kenzie said. They're all going to stick together, approach Goddess. Uh, they try that. They're intercepted by the Fallen, led by Seer. Ugh. Rain and Seer have a really fun interplay here with Rain kind of standing up to him in like a perfectly Rain way. <laughs> Victoria tries to argue her way past them, and the whole thing escalates to Seer threatening to hurt Aaron if Rain doesn't apologize. And Rain then, like, kind of starting towards Seer, uh, being held back by Tristan. Uh, and then Cole Belcher joins the little party, and he throws his weight around uh, as a possible new Fallen member to get the jerks to go back to Jerkvale population then. 
I think this is a really stand-up performance from our boy Rain here. Like, yeah. As we said last week, he's been the punching bag for a bit, and that's fine. Um, you need a, a character to be that every once in a while, but but if you do that too much, and he just turns into like I don't know, Kid Win or something. Um, <laughs> but I, I think it's really great that we get a moment to remind both us and to remind him of the strength that he's found through his experiences in the books thus far, the the strength and the growth that he's achieved. Rain is in a good place right now. Uh, Ashley is in a good place right now. Kenzie is in a good place right now. And we're just not going to talk about the the rest of them yet. (laughs) Yeah. We'll get there. Yeah. But I mean, I think, I think that like, we we're highlighting here at the end of this arc, the characters who have made progress. Um, they, they have, they like, we had this whole thing where, where Rain and Ashley were kind of shuttled off to prison um, and we were worried about, is this the right move for them? Is this going to make their problems worse or make them better? And now here at the end of the, the them in prison story, they're doing pretty good. Yeah. Prison works. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's good. It's the rehabilitative very uh, <laughs> in prison worked great. There we go. So... Um, while they're standing there with Cole Belcher, Victoria tries to find out why he let her down with Natalie. And he says he didn't, he got her free, but she got caught again. Yeah. What an interesting guy, Cole Belcher, right, Matt? Yeah. So he, he basically steps into this conflict and, and stops it from escalating, which it was going to escalate rain. They, I wonder what would have happened if he didn't step in, would they have actually gotten into a fight? I don't know. Um, and then he definitely follows through on the promise he made to Victoria. Like, we'll we'll learn later that it is because Cole Belcher got Natalie loose that the team ends up winning. <laughs> like, so that's big, big plays. Yeah. Um, so he's like, he's like, I'm not saying he's a good guy. I don't think he's like, he's definitely a guy that probably has murdered a fair share of people. But, um, Pobody's nerfed. <laughs> Yeah, little of column A, little of column B. Yeah, I, I think he's a fascinating character, and I'm, I don't think we're done with him. I think, like, we spend we spend time setting him up here, and I don't think it's, like, a one-and-done thing. I think we're going to interact with him a little bit more in the future. I, I agree. Um, the great thing about these stories is that even if it were a one-and-done thing, like, that's the level at which Wild Bill sketches even, you know, tertiary characters. Yeah, yeah, you're right, you're right, yeah. Um it, yeah, it, no, wouldn't, I, it wouldn't be bad writing if we never see Cole Belcher again. But um, I think there's more that could be done with him here. He seems like a on, on Victoria's road to kind of getting out of this black and white, good and bad mind frame that she's seemingly going on. Um, Cole Belcher as this complicated villain uh, is is an interesting, interesting stepping stone. And I would like to see that stone used again. Yeah, I mean, my, my take on on him is that he's actually like a pretty clever guy and doesn't really fit into the like thug stereotype yeah. that she immediately yeah. tried to shove him into. Um, cause like he, he, he is the leader, right. That doesn't happen automatically. Right. Just cause he belches coal doesn't mean he's some like brute idiot. Yeah. Yeah. Being right. coal belt belches. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I was trying for something there. It didn't really work. <laughs> Moving on. It happens. Um, then there's this image. Amy stood at the other end of the stage, framed by cryptids, black feathers, his rear legs to her left, one of his front legs planted on the ground to her right, 
head dangling so that his beak was near her elbow. Couldn't get rid of her. Oh, it's so good. Yeah. I mean, it's it's great because like she's framed by this black feathery, like bent necked monster. Um, But also like Chris is their teammate. He is he is their guy and he's the only one that is not with the team right now. And immediately in the way of getting to him if they wanted to is Amy. It's just like I think it's it's a great on multiple levels. Yeah, I agree. Um, So I, I also really before we move on, like in that moment. Um, right after Victoria says couldn't get rid of her goddess says to Victoria I just can't get rid of you and like yeah. there's this moment of Victoria's like that's weird <laughs> we, we lined up and it's like this really small moment that I, I don't think is like super significant to anything the story is saying but like this alignment of thoughts between Victoria and the evil woman she's trying to figure out a way to not be controlled by anymore is is pretty great yeah right like it it doesn't necessarily necessarily mean anything it's it's just really good writing to 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 put our character into this moment of being off balance right yeah so goddess angrily informs breakthrough and um uh cole belcher's group uh the chimney sweeps i'm gonna call them (laughs) i like it um that they are setting off her danger sense at the moment Uh, victoria in particular and she's really annoyed with them she's tense um, I read her tense as being frightened because I view her as being fundamentally motivated by fear. But anyway, yeah. uh, she sends off Cole Belcher with Seer to attack the city and destroy Mama Mathers and then catch the wardens in the rear. Yeah, I, I agree with you. And I like that you use the word fear because that ties into our co- whole conversation about how different people handle fear. Um, and goddess here is she's fighting it. She's attacking it. Um I I love this so much. Like she's she's more and more frantic. The end of Goddess does not happen the way I expected it to. Um, the the I, I said last week or maybe it was the week before. I don't know. They all run together. That the MacGuffin was removed from the equation, and that Goddess's downfall will be because of her own kind of relentless fear and tension that that pushes her people too far, um, and and they betray her. And the cool thing is it's kind of both of those things. Like it's the MacGuffin, but also like she does that same thing. And Uh I think this is really like, it's interesting to me because like a few chapters ago, not long ago, Victoria and Sveta were almost at like blows because Sveta thought Victoria was doing some sneaky shit against goddess. And now they're kind of all aligned and Victoria is still like doing sneaky shit against goddess. Like she's still loyal to her. Don't get me wrong, but like they're, they're like trying to plan and, and it's almost as if like everyone has just kind of aligned behind the idea of something's going on here. Like something's not right. And I think it's just because goddess has been pushing against them, pushing like become more frantic and tense and nuts. So that they just don't really believe it anymore. Yeah, yeah, they've kind of all been made to do things they're not comfortable with, too. Right. Um, yeah, yeah, so they're all they're they're aligned but not happy about it. Yeah, and 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 there's this line from Sveta here, Matt. We may just be those types of people. Sveta said, her voice slightly muffled, a little closer to being dangerous than average. And she's right. She's right. But that's a very unoptimistic thing to for Sveta to say, and. I mean, I think out of anything that gets us into her mindset, right? That like, I think like she's in bad shape, Matt, where she's just like, maybe we're all just inherently dangerous 
and everything is bad and we're screwed. Yeah. Right. Um, I, I just think it's a, a bit funny that goddess isn't like, why are you in a ball now? She just doesn't, she just doesn't care. Right. Yeah, she just does, does not care. Like she, she probably wouldn't even comment if just like one of them was, was dead. Yeah. She'd be no. like, Oh, okay. Just one yeah. less. Per- well, I mean, she, she yeah. literally says in this, like a bit later, like, I hope you die in the fight against the wardens and that would solve my problem. Yeah. <laughs> and Kenzie's response. <laughs> yeah. If it helps. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Yeah. Um, um, but we I, I, we do see here that like she gets so paranoid that she brings her cape crock of shit over, which is her her lie detector to determine if they're telling the truth or not. Cole Belcher is loyal. Victoria's wording here of that we determine is truth is like very like precisely worded. Right. I'm in alignment. We all are in breakthrough. Natalie accepted. And part of me wonders if Victoria had not considered Chris no longer a member of the team at this point. If if something would have been betrayed there, you know, when she says in breakthrough and maybe that's pointless speculation, but I'm just curious about this. Like, like Chris has kind of removed himself and distanced himself and Victoria is not even thinking of not even clumping him in, into in breakthrough. So when she said that in her mind, I don't think she was including Chris in that equation. And I wonder if something if something would have been ruined if she had. Yeah, I didn't see this as like wizard uh, word word games. I mean, I don't think she's playing word games. I just think I don't think she's like trying to outsmart her with how she's wording this. I just think the writing around the wording seems very deliberate. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, that did not occur to me, but uh, I, I, I definitely it's plausible that she's like intentionally um, shielding Chris in some way, but I don't think she suspects that Chris is not aligned though. So yeah, I don't know, but yeah, I don't really understand how the, the, the truth tell like, is it sensing when you, is it like you believe what you're saying or is it, um, this is the actual truth of the matter. I don't know. We don't know how the power works. Yeah. I would guess the former cause the latter could basically boil down to like an incredibly, powerful thinker power yeah that's true that's true because you just you could just have someone say a bunch of nonsense sentences and then yeah i don't know you could definitely (laughs) exploit it that's true um uh yeah so there's this moment of humanity i suppose from goddess where she says this was easier the first time a decision i made as a teenager to take over solve all the problems Eternal youth through my cocoon man, beauty, endless wealth and power. It was fine. It sounds great, Lookout said. Then it was all taken away. Each and every one of my enemies expects me to take it back, which forces me to do just that, because a third of them would eliminate me, a third would enslave me and use me, and another third would castrate me and take everything vital to me, all of my power. That castration wouldn't guarantee I'm saved from the first two groups. And and it's like... Here, here at the end here, poor, poor Bianca. She doesn't have a choice in all this, you know? Maybe yeah. she should just try to explain it to people and then everyone can go home. Yeah, I mean, okay. First of all, she doesn't have a choice in all this is bullshit. Even if all that is true, <laughs> like, you don't get to just be like, I'm sorry, I had to kill all these people. Everyone assumed I would. So yeah. I just had to. <clears throat> yeah. I mean, to, to me, this all harkens back to the first time we saw her where she saw a camera in the sky 
and swan song identified fear in, in her expression and i think she is motivated by fear but i think the direction that fear pushes her is always the direction of aggression right and and um taking power and and like yeah there was no way she was going to do anything other than this yeah yeah i mean i th- i think you're right and i think like this this quest to return to the that way it was before i mean like there's a lot of intentionally drawn parallels here right to to previous characters on wild Bo's books like a decision i made as a teenager to take over to solve all of the problems is is very targeted phrasing of words to to remind us of our hero of the last book like taylor wanted to take over and solve everyone's problems she made this decision as a teenager here is goddess who pulled it off um and it was destructive and bad because goddess is not the same type of person that taylor is but i think one of the things that's interested me about that second paragraph about this idea that everyone thought I was going to go bad again. So I had to, because that kind of gets us back into this idea of second chances, right? And this, this idea, this push and pull between, you know, moving forward, um, and being hung up in the past because like to a certain extent, there is a level of self-fulfilling prophecy, right? Like if, if everyone assumes that you are going to be, the worst possible version of yourself, then aren't you kind of screwed from the jump? Yeah. So like when I was looking at these categories, she, she drew like the, 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 the third that would castrate her and take her power to me. I kind of read that as being the wardens actually, because yeah, they, they wouldn't actually be cool with her hoarding the powers of her cluster um, even if she were to like join them, even if she, if she were to be like, look, I, I submit myself to your authority. Like I, I, I don't want to go to jail, but like, you know, I, I, I don't want people to come after me either. They probably wouldn't just let her continue to, to be, to be goddess. Like she certainly wouldn't have the kind of power that she has. So, so she's like, yeah, I mean, if I want to keep my godlike level of power and my domination over others, then I'd have to take over the world. It's like, yeah, I feel real sorry for you. Yeah. It's, it's that, yeah. I mean, that's the part is like, this is, she comes off as trying to be sympathetic here and you're just like, it's just like, yeah. I, I'm not sympathetic that you might've lost your terrible, dominating, awful power. But yeah, I mean, I mean, there is something to be said about this idea of, really giving people second chances because I mean, that's something that, our protagonist is struggling with. And if, if it's something our protagonist is struggling with and we see someone else in the story struggling with that same thing, that feels like a de- deliberate connection we're making here. And so, yes, I, I don't feel bad for, for Bianca here. I, I, I think she is bad and I think she made a bad choice when she was a teenager. And I think she learned the lesson she learned from the bad choice was I have to make that again. <laughs> I have to, yeah. or I'm screwed. The only way, the only way to be successful is to do that again. And it's so like, she describes it as fine. <laughs> like, like yeah. eternal youth through my cocoon man, which by the way, Matt, we got to get ourselves some cocoon men. Yeah. That sounds great. Definitely. Uh, beauty, endless wealth and power. It was fine. And it's just like, like it, I, I don't get a, a sense of sh- a person who was ever happy with that. Like, it's like it, it was what it was. And if I want, if I want to keep, my power, it, the things vital to me. If I want to keep the things vital to me, these are the choices I have to make. And so I, I frame it as having no choice, even though I definitely do. Yeah. But, yeah. um, but yeah, I mean, Think- I, I wonder like what, what, like 
removing teacher from the equation who is a bad guy, would the people of the planet, the good people, have tolerated the existence of goddess who is not specifically engaging in I'm going to take over your planet type activities. I think they probably would have tried to curtail her specific um, master ability because I'm pretty sure by definition it's an S-class threat ability because it yeah. basically multiplies in power right. yeah. um, the, the, longer, the longer she's active. Um, so, like, that's... <clears throat> I don't think that's something that the wardens, for example, would be comfortable having around... I think um, you're right, but I think I also know, think we need to move on because we we got still five pages to do. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, yeah. I know. Um, finish your thought, and then we'll move uh, on. Yeah, I was just gonna say, like, I, I bet having her danger sense, I bet she didn't have a moment of like peace, you know, because yeah. she she was just always being alerted to like the the most niggling thing that was happening in her in her world, even when she was in power. Yeah, I mean, especially um, since the way she rules, like we said, is inherently destructive and and risky on its own. Like, right. There's always going to be bad stuff. Always. Yeah. Yep. So, yeah, the woman in blue flies off, leaving Breakthrough to get ready to fight the Wardens. Uh, they aren't thrilled about it, but they'll obey. Yeah, this will be the last time the story will really play up the effect of the alignment. They're, they're prepping to fight the Wardens. Like, there's this moment where, where Sveta and Victoria both go, gee, I hope we don't have to fight Weld, your yeah. boyfriend. Do you think it's weird that we're about to fight your boyfriend in combat? No, I just hope we don't have to do it. <laughs> Yeah. And I think it's really important that we do that here right at the end, because like Wildo is firmly establishing that, like, look, yes, these guys are resisting. They're doing their master stranger stuff, but they are here at the end of the compli- the compulsion, very much still aligned, definitely still being controlled by goddess in that way. Yeah. The only times when they're not is when they're kind of like on somebody else's track, which is what's going to happen here. Yeah. So Victoria heads off to look for a computer for Lookout so that she can uh, do some reconnaissance and so forth. And she notes some things on the way there. She notes Ratcatcher looking away from her and thinks maybe she's pointing. And Victoria kind of decides to interpret that as pointing. So she heads that way and creeps through the creepy building, finds a dead guard, and eventually finds some candy and, and chips. And she really, really doesn't want to eat them because... Goddess wouldn't like that. <laughs> but then she remembers Master Stranger protocols. And she imagined, and it says, I imagine Natalie with her fingers through her mouth, like I, like it was a mimed order, driven by an impulse, feeling like I was potentially about to take poison. I took the most dirty, damaged package, opened it, uh, opened a hole wider, and then tipped a few of the gummy candies back into my mouth. And then a, a couple paragraphs later, a part of me wanted it to be. A part of me wanted an excuse to feel less uneasy. The conflict was brewing, and... And good people were going to get hurt. Goddess was fucked in the head. Fuck her. Fuck this. I hope your fucking danger sense is making your head spin, lady in blue. Uh. Um, <laughs> in addition to being awesome, she calls her lady in blue instead right. of goddess. Right. Which, like the, yeah. And I, I was curious about that, and I went and looked and see. Once once this break happens, does Victoria call her goddess again? And yes, she does. Um, but she starts using lady in blue a lot more. Um, she, yeah. she uses goddess considerably less. And I think that's a really great little little thing there that drives the change home, as is that that little section break. 
which yeah. I think is just a wonderful little touch because it's almost as if you're jumping into a different point of view, which you yeah. kind of are like she, her perspective has just been completely aligned back to what it was. And, and it just really sells the importance of this. Like we've been building to this for 13 chapters with the minute Victoria got mind controlled. We were like, what's going to happen when this thing breaks? How's it going to break? What's it going to be like? And, and, and as if sensing the importance of of this moment, Wildbow wrote it with this break in it. And I think like structurally on the page, just like just like attention calling ability on the page, just completely aesthetic, not analysis of reading at all, just the aesthetic view of it as you're reading, I think makes this so badass. I love yeah. it. Yeah, me too. I love it. Um, all right. So she immediately stabs all the food and snacks onto the spikes in her costume. Um, style be damned, She's, she thinks. <gasps> style be damned. Victoria <laughs> saying style be damned. Massive character change. You know it's serious. Yeah. And then she flies out into the uh, preparation for the battle, sharing the food, kind of saying, big fight, got to get your energy up. And, and one of the one of the villains hanging around, chips, fuck yeah, guy said. <laughs> I love it. Um, chips, yeah. fuck yeah. And she hands out the candy to her group, which is another very tense scene, actually, because you're like, I don't, I don't want to gloss over it, but you know, it, it's just perfectly done because you're like, please, just, just eat it. Yeah. Everyone should eat it. Don't say anything. Don't, don't give away the game. Um, I like this moment where uh, Rain is like, mind trading, Ken's. Oh, you don't like grape? Uh, not this type, no. He said, because <laughs> Rain has bad associations with uh, grape. Yeah, it's that grape candy he was eating when Seer came up to his car and pestered him. Right. The yeah, it's part of the whole chocolate incident of 2018. Yeah, yeah, we got we got a lot of candy and chocolate related themes yeah. in the story. Yeah. Um. So the team eats the candy, rapidly becomes realigned. I just love everyone's reaction to it. Oh yeah. Um, like like Swan Song being like, "Oh, this is good candy," and you're just yeah. like, "Yes." Yeah. And they right. do it like one at a time in rapid succession. So you're just like, "It worked. Everyone's yeah. back," and you're just celebrating. Yeah. Yeah, right, which which is perfect because it's like, oh, yes, release of tension. Everybody breaks free. Uh, God is just threw an apartment building at us. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And and it's like this incredibly well-written, like, hectic thing as Victoria tries to grab people. It's this huge building just smashes into the ground. Like, you don't know how many people just got crushed. You don't know if team members just got crushed. Yeah, and, um, and, and I mean, that's not something that we really get an answer to in the in the craziness of the events that come. I mean, obviously, no one on her team got killed but yeah we we don't know how many people that attack just killed Um, yeah because they were not standing in like a giant open space yeah um so they're 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 recovering from this strike goddess grabs them with her telekinesis um they're 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 boned they're boned up (laughs) but she has to fend off other attackers uh some of the other people that got the candy then has to fend off a rapidly attacking cryptid (gasps) who she realizes too late has nothing organic on him to grab uh, sorry inorganic and he tears her open horribly and she dies breaking the compulsion yes and it says chris uh, cryptid was at the center his broken neck twisted around his head dangling his beak was like a curved blade gleaming in the rain pointed at the small of his back i could see what that was supposed to mean now yeah, and I think Wildbow in a comment called this um was it Twisted Betrayal is the name he gave for the the form. I, I believe I, it I, was. I don't remember, but I think it I, yeah, the obviously it's 
it's a backstab, right? Right. right. Um, or perhaps not. Obviously, I, I certainly didn't get it until <laughs> until it was held under my nose. Yeah. Yeah. Um, um, yeah. So I mean, this is this is big. Chris Chris has this moment, and it's kind of presumably the culmination of a plan that they've been working on behind the scenes for a while here. So what do you, I mean? What do you think about this? Like, we just had this moment of our main character saying to her team, "We are not killers. This is not what we do." And again. Um, goddess probably needs to die here. Like, I don't want to argue whether or not, um, killing goddess was the right thing. I don't think that's an argument worth having, but what does it say about Chris, um, his character, his, his involvement in the team going forward? I mean, obviously like murder is not a deal breaker for the team. Swan song's still on it. Uh, and she's murdered someone since the, the story started. So, I mean, what do you think? What, what is, what is the, the long-term result of, of, Chris being the one to strike the blow. I'm not sure exactly. I mean, this is a, this is a killing where I don't, I just don't see any other way that could have got out of this situation. Um, yeah, no, I I don't, I don't want to say there's none, but it's like you, I mean, again, if you, if you do want to classify her as an S class threat, then, then killing her is practically like the, the right move. Um, and him being the one to do it, like it, he says he's already killed someone, but that was by accident. So I just, I just don't know enough about him to say what effect this is going to have on him. Is this going to be something that bothers him tremendously, or is this something that's just going to roll off his back? Um, is this going to be something that, I mean, I don't think, I don't particularly think the team is going to hold it against him. So no, I guess I don't that was think. your actual question. I don't think they're going to hold it against him. Yeah. Okay. Um, I don't know how he's going to deal with it. Yeah. Though. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm, I was less concerned about the, what the team is going to react to him. We're, I mean, like part of me feels like we have, we have this moment where Chris has basically decided he's not a member of the team anymore. And, and in that same, in the same chapter where Chris decides, I'm not really a member of this team anymore. We have, um, Victoria saying we don't kill people. And then the guy who has just decided I'm not a member of the team killing a person. So all, all I'm saying is like, maybe he has, decided that in order to make this choice to do this thing to win this fight i have to remove myself i i i have to un sign up for breakthrough <laughs> uh, yeah. and and remove myself from this team um and, and leave um to 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 be this person that does this to be the one that strikes the killing blow justified as it was um, maybe he feels that way. And, and this is speculation because Chris is, is so mysterious and we understand so little of, of his underlying personality under what I assume is a lot of like posturing. But, um, I, I'm just curious about like, it, it seems like there's, there's things that line up in that, in that certain way. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm really not trying to make a, a pun here, but he he's like being a scapegoat. He's, he's taking the sin onto himself and then and then and recusing then, himself yeah, and then almost. exiling himself. Yeah. 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 That's, that's very interesting. I didn't think of it that way. Um, so yep. All that happened. That's a huge plot movements. Yeah. So you think it's done, right? It's like, that's the big thing and it's done. Nothing, yep. nothing more crazy is going to happen. Yep. Nope. Um, cause in the immediate aftermath of this killing Amy, the red queen speaks up, she tells everyone they're going to earth shin they're going to take over. She's going to be in charge and everybody who comes with her will be reasonably good. <laughs> uh, and it says she, al- she looked almost angry as she looked away as if she had the fucking right. 
So uh, let's talk about this for a while, Matt. This is Amy's decision. Um, she is going to basically take goddess's place. They, her, her and Chris have basically killed the queen and crowned themselves more or less, or more specifically Amy than Chris, but he feels like he's going to be like a right hand or something. Um, what do you, what do you feel about this? So, I mean, Amy is, um, the, the queen of bad decisions, <laughs> I think, and, and, and bad decisions for the right reason, because like there's, there's an argument you can construct around this of the prison is gone. These bad people are free now. What are we going to do with them? And Amy says, I have a solution. We have killed the threat. I am going to take them with me to a place and I will rule them benevolently. We will make them better people. We will hold them in check and we will hopefully fix this world. But I don't think it's going to be viewed that way, Matt. Yeah, there's a lot. There's a lot of uncertainty here because it's like. How are you going to keep him in line? Because if the answer is that Amy's going to start using her power, um, yeah, to to the fullest extent, which she never has, we've never seen her do that ever. Um, that could be massively destabilizing, like because she she could very well be an S class threat herself. I mean, right? Uh, um, she she could in all kinds of terrible ways. So I mean, when you can when you literally make an S class threat at the end of the last book i think that by definition if you create one then are you one yeah i believe so i believe that is accurate <laughs> um and so yeah like there's just so many exciting ways this could just go horribly wrong that yeah. um yeah yeah what do you think uh, so i i think i think there's a lot to go into this. And I like, here's what I'm concerned about. I am not concerned. I'm going to be honest. I don't care about the people of earth Shin because <laughs> those are just like anonymous, like people that we've never met. And like, I, I don't feel guilty saying that because they're not real people. And I've not like hurt their feelings by saying, I don't care about them, <laughs> but I care about Amy and I care about Victoria and I care about Amy and Victoria's relationship. And I see this as Amy making a decision to once again, go way above and beyond anything that's being asked of her. Like I, I just, Amy seems to be like every time she makes a decision, she goes too far with it. It's like, I feel guilty for what I did to Victoria. I feel I deserve to be punished. Ergo, I should lock myself up in the birdcage forever because that's what I deserve. It's just like, Hey, chill a little bit like i agree yeah. you messed up you did absolutely mess up but maybe just like tone that down just a little bit so so yeah she has this interaction with victoria um and, and victoria basically says don't you get it i don't want you here i don't want you around and so amy's decision is fine you don't want me around i'll go to another dimension <laughs> and like like th this, this moment of anger we see here where like she looks, she looks away angry and like, I don't want to, Victoria has a very, very, very biased point of view when it comes to Amy. So I'm not like fully ready to say that. Yes, she was definitely angry in this moment. And it's not another emotion that you're reading as anger because you hate her. Um, that is a possibility, but, but if that emotion is really angry, then what we're saying here is 
is this what you wanted, Victoria? Is this what you want? Look, you want me to leave? This is how I leave. And, yeah, look and, what you made me do. Right. Yeah. I, I just like, and I, and you're just like making a decision like this from a, a, a extreme anger and, and reeling from a, a interaction with Victoria that didn't go the way she wanted it to is the exact wrong move to make. And that's why like we can, we can break out the, the taking these people to another planet and like talk about this as like an independent, is this morally correct? Is this, was this smart? We can do that. But I think for our characters, for the health and the success of our characters, this scares the shit out of me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, just, Relating to Amy and her psychology, it's it's really interesting how the fact that Victoria is our point of view um, and she has such a non-generous perspective on Amy causes us to have, I mean, causes me, I guess I should say, to have a very difficult time like parsing Amy's actions because they're always clouded with Victoria's like veneer of... right fuck her she has no right like it's like yeah i mean from her point of view i'm sure she has a right to feel angry i don't know what exactly she's angry about and victoria never even comes close yeah. to speculating on that yeah like um, her 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 base assumption is she's angry at me for making her do this like that's that's the kind of uh, implied assumption under that line but she could be angry at the situation she could be angry at that she's she's forced to do this she could be angry at the events in her life that have led her to this like let's not forget that carol like the the, the shit mom that we we rag on for being shitty to victoria was also really shitty to amy if not more so than she was to victoria yeah. um i think i think amy has plenty of reasons to be angry about things. So yeah, I mean, I, I, I like, I like the perspective that she made this choice out of anger at, at Victoria. And it kind of shows that like, like the seesawing nature of their relationship where, where we see Victoria take steps, take positive steps forward in this arc. And, and the response to that is Amy seemingly taking negative steps back. Um, I, I like that. I think it fits into what we're doing, but yeah, I mean, there is, there is a, a realm of, Victoria is just reading Amy completely wrong here. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I, I think, I think she definitely is. Um, but that doesn't mean we know what Amy's thinking and I right. can't wait to find out what she is. Well, and it, I mean, it, it, it gets back to this whole idea about assuming the worst in people, right? Like people assumed that goddess was going to take control again and therefore she had to do it. Um, Victoria has been assuming that Amy was going to do this from the like the second chapter in the book, like Amy is going to take over a world was something that, that she accused her of. And, and here here Amy, it is fulfilling that that prophecy. Um, I, I don't I don't know, like how this conflict is going to to roll out in the future. But I do know that there is no way in hell that Victoria, as we know her right now, is going to assume that Amy will benevolently rule this world like that. That is outside the realm of possibility for Victoria. So whatever's going to happen with this in the future, um, Victoria is going to want to stop it. I think. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, she's not going to be cool with the idea of, um, this person who she's terrified of like ascending to incredibly high levels of personal power. Yeah. Like that's, that's a terrifying thought just in general. And I wonder if like the authority of the world is fine with it. Like if the wardens go, 
shit, that solved our problem. Yeah. I wonder how Victoria, the, the like really big, like plead to authority person is going to handle that realization. Oh, interesting. So put, put her various mantras in direct conflict with her trauma. In other words. Yeah. Yeah, That's, that's awesome. I like that. So there's one more aspect of this we have to talk about before we finish. We have to talk about the fact that Amy says that part of this is is a deal she made and we don't hear who she made a deal with and and who we think this person is. And um, there was a post in the Reddit today, the Reddit thread today that that I saw um, basically outlining the fact that Dinah is the name of one of Alice's cats from Alice in Wonderland. And in Through the Looking Glass, uh, one of Dinah's spawn of one of her kittens ends up being who Alice is kind of like through the looking glass is a weird book where she goes into the world and then like she's basically waking up from a dream and the red queen that she's been dealing with all the time throughout the book turns out to be that little kitten um, that was created by Dinah so I I don't like I I don't think that the story is going to like line up directly to through the looking glass but I think this is a pretty interesting theory of a hint that the person she made a deal with here was Dinah um and I think that would be very Dinah to be like, here's a solution to the problem. Yeah, right. Because, you know, it, it was it was a complex plan. It was the kind yeah. of plan that, say, a precog might have put into motion. Right, right. Um, like, like, I mean, like if you look at like Chris, the reason why Chris transforms in front of everyone is because <clears throat> that's how he avoids the danger sense. Right. Like when he's standing next to her, he's the ally to her and he slowly transforms into the one that's going to betray her. Uh, and, and by the time she notices it's too late. So like, this is a complex multi-leveled plan to get, to get in here. And and who knows when the plan even started. Um, yeah. so it, Dinah seems fitting. Yeah. Yeah. I, I like that. And they, they call it a, a doyless theory. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I always enjoyed that, that approach to things. I said the last time we talked about the Red Queen that I needed to go read through the looking glass and I didn't do that and now I'm regretting it. But, yeah, um, yeah. We have to, we have yeah. to. Um, yeah, so the chapter wraps up with uh, Amy leaving and Cryptid leaving with her and then Lookout kind of looks after them and giggles, uncertain, oh. uh, which means that she's upset. Yeah. And Swan Song wraps her and, and Sveta's ball in a hug. Um, and then the chapter ends with Okay, Byron said, I'm officially passing the baton. We both know you're good at this part. He blurred. Once I realized what he was saying, a second or so later than I should have, I could understand it. I nodded. Yeah, Tristan said. He started striding toward the assistant warden. Without turning to face us, he intoned the words, damage control. Yeah. I uh, wonder what this is leading into, Scott. They've got some splaining to do. Yeah, I mean, this is a it's a great transition to what we know is the the long-awaited Tristan interlude that I haven't read yet, but I'm sure you have. Um, I, I know it exists, though. Yeah, I mean, I, I love how we transition in these ways because I think damage control is going to be exactly what Tristan is going to be doing, at least for the early part of his chapter. But um, I, I really like this because Victoria is basically borderline catatonic here. Like, she's so shocked and thrown off by what just happened that they're like, Victoria, can you deal with this? And she's like, no. Can't do it. Yeah. No. So Tristan comes out because he's we had this form of guy really good at lying. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, that's good. Yeah. So um, I, I think it is interesting w- w- what the fallout of this is going to be, because 
I mean, I think the wardens know enough about goddess's power to know that the, the things, the, the bad things that they did were not of their own volition. And I, I actually think breakthrough comes out of this looking pretty good. Uh, I mean, they, they, they beat her. <laughs> they yeah. won. Right. right. Um, I think, I think this is going to be kind of our introduction to breakthrough starts working with wardens and, and the, the book kind of moves above like the street level day to day crime fighting. And they start like being respected enough to get involved with some of the bigger things that are going on. Yeah. Cause they, they kind of did spearhead this thing and they succeeded. So yeah. Yeah. Or at least they played a huge role. I mean, yeah, a, yeah. a lot of, a lot of people played a role, but they certainly, they, they got the candy, you know, they, they, they did, made, they made big plays. Yeah, um, that Nat- the 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 best member of Breakthrough, Natalie, yeah, saved right. saved us all. Yeah, yeah. We didn't talk about that much, but holy shit, man, that's awesome! Yeah. Like it's in the background, and a lot of it is just Victoria like assuming this was what Natalie did. But I believe it. I, like, yeah, this smart. conspiracy with her and Ratcatcher, and yeah, yeah talk about great. talk about making plays in the moment. Yeah, way absolutely. to way to find those moments, Natalie. It's so great. Yeah. Um. All right, that's. That wraps up the chapter discussion. Um, I don't think we have time for name game, actually. But no. uh, the discussion question this week is as follows. In this week's reading, Victoria discussed two different approaches to dealing with fear, succumbing to it or attacking it, and included the benefits of each one. We see in Carol the idea of bending to that fear. We see in Swan Song fighting against that fear. Does the book take a clear side on this argument? Uh, which and why? Yeah, so I hope that is a good question. I don't know. I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm interested in seeing what people think about this because I'm kind of torn on it myself. So whenever I'm torn on something, I kind of crowdsource. <laughs> yeah, and I'm I'm also interested in kind of the um, lateral thinking answers because, like, I would I would say like I I I don't know if I do either of those things when I'm feeling fear myself. I, yeah. Um. So and maybe yeah, I'm just excited. Yeah, to you don't people. you don't have to choose from the two. If if you think the yeah. book is is saying that neither of those are the right thing, yeah, yeah, go for it. Yeah. All right. That's all we got for you this week on We've Got Ward. You guys are all part of this show, so feel free to provide us with advice, questions, or thoughts on this week's reading. You can reach us via email at gotwormpod at gmail dot com or on Twitter at gotwormpod, where I do my live readings of each and every one of the chapters. I think it's usually Thursday, Sunday is my schedule for those these days. Um, I think I've gotten pretty good down at, at that. So follow us there. Also follow us there for any um, you know info on episodes. Sometimes we we have to delay an episode for one reason or another, and that's where we announce it. So. It's a, it's a good it's a good thing to follow. Do that. Yeah, yeah. It's and serious. you can you can follow our personal twitters if you want to see me complain about whatever random thing. Uh, I'm at Scott Daily eighty five, and Matt is at Mordina Grape Candy. That's right. Yeah, and actually, I, I mean, I I even enjoy uh, uh, reading Scott's live reads. Yeah, um, Matt they, does they're... this. Matt does this thing, guys, where if I'm like late on my live read, he'll be like. He'll like passive aggressively ask me about it. He'll be like, I don't want to be the guy that asks you when you're going to be do your live read. And then he'll just end the sentence. And I'll be yeah. like, so, but you're, you're being bad. <laughs> yeah. No, I think what I'm trying to convey there is that I don't do it every week. <laughs> I just true. bother you. That's true. Sometimes. It is true. So if you're not already subscribed to We've Got Ward, we strongly recommend you do so and never miss an episode. You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, YouTube, Google Play, and pretty much anywhere else in the world that you can listen to podcasts. 
And as always, you can find this and all the other podcasts we do over at doofmedia.com. Um, on some of our other shows this week, Vow to View, we're continuing watching scary movies. Me and my wife all week, we watched Nightmare on Elm Street today. And I don't think she liked it very much, Matt. That's interesting. And then I think the Doofcast, we're doing our I, uh, I robot or Mr. Robot, I robot. <laughs> We're doing robot. our Mr. Robot episode. Um, that'll be coming out this Friday, I believe. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And if you like any of our shows, including this one, and you want to support them, consider donating to our Patreon account, patreon.com slash doofmedia. You can donate a dollar a month or whatever else you can afford. Supporting us on Patreon gives you tons of great bonuses like voting in our quarterly fan art contests and costume contests. Q&A sessions, access to live streams of our recording sessions, and our excellent Discord chat. Special thanks to new Bidoof, uh, Benjamin S., donating at the $1 level. Uh, thanks, thanks so much. It, everything, everything helps, and it, it's, just, it's just always an, an honor for, for anybody to give us any, any amount of money, honestly. Yeah, it really is. And um, uh, the fourth generation of Pokemon Go came out today, and you can now catch a, a Bidoof in that game. So, you know, do that. Yeah. And then give and, us a dollar. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and as always, of course, make sure you go over to Wildbo's Patreon, patreon.com slash Wildbo, and donate to him as well. This is his world. We're just playing in it. And if you cannot afford to donate right now, that is absolutely okay. You can instead, like, sneak some drugs into some grape candy and give it to people and maybe convince them to listen. Or you could just head on over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a rating and a review. This week's review comes from Paralinguist, who gives us five stars and says, We've Got Worm slash Ward is an excellent companion to both the original and its sequel. We've Got Worm is a great great way for me to re-examine the nuance and detail in Worm, and Matt and Scott have handled the transition to a live analysis of the sequel with a plum. Come for the analysis and stay for the Fugly Bob's ads. <laughs> Shit. Oh my god, we forgot. I, Man, I wrote one back in the day, and I just never actually recorded it. It's okay. It's only been nine months. I'm sure no one's noticed. <laughs> Burn. <laughs> and and a, a, a plum. I mean, that's. I know. I've never been told that I have a plum before. Thank you so much, Paralinguist. Really appreciate your review. We really appreciate each and every one of you that take the time to send those rating and reviews. It absolutely does help. Thanks, guys, so much. We have like over a hundred reviews in iTunes right now, which is it's crazy. That's unbelievable. I yeah. used to look at podcasts with over a hundred reviews and be like, "Oh man, I yeah, wish I was them." And that's now, impossible. And yeah. now I am. So I thank know. you guys so much. Thanks. Yeah. All right, that's it for this week. We'll be back next week to wrap up Arc Nine and possibly to start Arc Ten. Oh, it's gonna be fun! I can't wait, Tristan. Tristan, don't don't do don't do me like this, Tristan. Mm-hmm.